must change. Everything you 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 must change. What is it that makes a person wanna stay in power forever? What is it that makes a person wanna stay in power forever? What is the reason for a man to wanna force his will upon our lives? What is the reason for a man to wanna force his Good morning and welcome to your favorite news analysis program on radio and television, The Big Issue. My name is Duke Mentopoko, sitting in for a regular host, Godfrey Akoto Bwafo. It's been a week uh, where there's been a clash of the arms of government. Uh, questions about parliamentary assertiveness, cooperation, or what it takes to build a fledging democracy like ours. It culminated in the, quote, the rejection of the budget last night. But of course, the majority group uh, who worked out before uh, that critical vote based on Article 102 was passed, are fighting back, indicating that um, it does what the interpretation of the speaker's uh, directive or ruling is, is, is wrong. We'll be looking, we'll be doing an analysis of that as well. We'll also be looking at the major issue, the vexed issue of the e-levy, uh, which seems to have been the major point of disagreement in this budget for something that uh, persons in civil society and other keen watchers of the governance and political space have also uh, had issues with uh, since the budget was presented on the floor of parliament last week this and more would be discussed on this edition of the big issue we'll take a break here when i come back we'll begin with the wrap of the major stories before we get into the major issues up for discussion we'll be back after the break stay with us Welcome back from the break. Well, it, it, it was a very long night, drawn out um, night in Parliament um, last night. A lot of issues um, came up right from the very start. It's been a debate that has been characterized by a lot of a, a lot of disagreement, mainly because of the structure of the eighth parliament hung parliament or near hung parliament as um, it's also been described in other uh, other quarters so the budget debate was expected to be concluded last night but that did not happen however the house um, rejected the government's 2022 budget statement and economic policy read in the house by the finance minister ken oforiata now work out by the uh, minority but majority did not prevent the house from continuing with the business of the day members of the majority side staged a walkout after a disagreement over a voice vote which uh, did not go in their favor a last minute request by the minister for finance to meet with the leadership of the house was turned down by mps after the speaker of parliament announced that the nose um, had won the voice vote deputy majority leader alexander penyomarking challenged the speaker's interpretation of the voice vote and called for a division mr uh, the speaker right honorable bagwin subsequently directed that per orders of the house uh, non-mps had to vacate the chamber during the division process which generated a lot of uh, heat and uh, brouhaha if i may put it that way on the floor of the house with some members of the majority indicating that once that uh, ruling or once that indication had been given uh, the general secretary of the ndc was also in the public gallery had to leave the matter which brought about a lot of consternation ended up getting the um, majority side walking out 
after which there was a, uh, a break of some of some time, five minutes initially, but it dragged up to a point. The speaker came back and passed or called for a vote on the budget based on Article 102. That is the, the quorum, after which when the headcount was done, um, the speaker subsequently directed or ruled that the budget has been rejected in terms of its uh, practical things. But let's begin by taking a look at the highlights of the budget. The E-Levy, the speaker, is going to turn our country's progress backwards. Our effort at establishing a digital economy and encouraging a cashless economy will be hampered by this initiative. You tax revenue income. You, you tax income. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, that tomato seller or onion seller, if he chooses and decides that he doesn't want to travel to Navrongo, he wants a tomato brought in by road and does a memo transaction, a memo transaction. Minister of Finance wants to eat from that pie. That is unfair to that ordinary tomato seller and to the onion seller. Speaker, I'm again serving notice that we on this side will not support this budget policy principles until we see resource allocation to the Minister for Works and Housing adequately assuring the people of Keta that they are Ghanaians and they deserve to be supported. Mr. Speaker, let me refer you back to paragraph 315-316 of the budget again for our purposes. Mr. Speaker, when you say fees and charges, you will subject it to automatic adjustment over a five-year, using inflation as your basis. You are wrong in law and you are wrong constitutionally. That is why Article 174 imposes the mandate on Parliament. Now your watch in 2015, and then and then and then you are the deputy minister, Mr. Speaker. You extend a special import levy of 1% to 2%. The Speaker, you introduce indirect taxes. You introduce 5% flat rate on real tax, on real estate. You amended the National Health Insurance Act to fully align the schedules to the VAT Act 2013, Act 870. That was in 2015. The Speaker, then you abolished VAT relief purchase order in granting of tax reliefs. That was 2015. Mr. Speaker, you imposed special petroleum tax of 17.5%. Mr. Speaker, 2015, for the people, what is being done is for foreigners. They are not for Ghanaians. Mr. Speaker, people should be honest with themselves. Mr. Speaker, you continue the enforcement of the 1 to 2 percent special import levy up to 2017. That's just before you left. And you introduced taxes on cutlass losses. Machetes, you introduce, you introduce it under your watch. You introduce, you introduce taxes on condoms. At all, you did condoms to aid family planning. You did to prevent AIDS which was going to impact on our health financing, you did. And then the Kumayashi Mibwa, 
Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. 2016. My prayer to you, Mr. Speaker, is to enable me to engage with the minority, extended caucus leadership, and also with the majority before the question is put to vote. Mr. Speaker, it is important that we leave this House, this budget, a people of one language. Mr. Speaker, we must recognize the times that we are in. So that's uh, Finance Minister Ken Oferiata. Uh, that the, the prayer or the plea to the House which uh, caused the um, wranglings or the um, ruhaha leading to uh, the events that, that unfolded. So after the uh, budget was rejected based on the Speaker's ruling, uh, the minority addressed the press uh, indicating essentially um, they are uh, making their point as to why this is good for the country's democracy. Further discussion and consultation in order to appreciate what that means for electronic payments and electronic uh, transactions, and in particular to give good technical advice. We also stated strongly our solidarity with the victims of the tidal wave in Keta. We drew his attention to the paragraph on a Japan in the budget and the paragraph on fees and charges we quite clearly demonstrated that fidelity to the law is an onerous responsibility of the Minister of Finance. Little did we know that going forward in Ghana's parliamentary democracy, you can have the majority party abandon their own budget statement in economic policy statement. Not a good signal to the strengthening of democratic governance in our country. Not a good signal to the exercise of the oversight of parliament as an institution, and more importantly, our power of the pairs function. But even what is more striking, more striking, is to ask for a division, abandon and boycott your own division. It was not our request. It was at their instance. They requested for the division. They challenged the ruling of the speaker on the voice vote. So to abandon it is to set a new tone. Fortunately for us, nobody, nobody can add any additional provision to the 1992 constitution. There's no room for it. So that it is now going to be the case of practice in Ghana that when I'm not too sure of my members in the chamber, I walk out of boycott. That cannot be part of parliamentary practice. But don't forget, we are masters of our own procedure. We feel very strongly that we have reflected the wishes and aspirations of the Ghanaian people 
My colleague even attempted to say that I said we receive a petition. I said we met petitioners. Go to Hansard. We met the petitioners. We did. We gave them 10. In any case, the petitioners had shared with the Ghanaian people what their concerns were. Let's not pretend that we do not know why they were demonstrating. We want to reiterate that the e-living is a disincentive to the development and growth of a digital economy. It will affect businesses, even matters of benchmark revenue. We have heard Guta, and it's significant for you to peruse what the Ghana Union traders have been told by this government. They are suffering from a policy credibility crisis. And you saw them. So once again, I want to express gratitude to my caucus, which has stood firm in solidarity and in support to do right for the people of Ghana. And to thank the media for staying put. You've done so well. He probably could have been better of standing down in living and getting the rest of the budget with adjustment and assurance to title which approved. That would have been better for him than this runaway. You cannot run away from your own budget. And you cannot run away from your own budget. And run away from your own request for division. So we look forward to... So that's a majority, minority leader, Harina Idrisu, leader of the minority group in parliament. After uh, this, uh, the minority... The majority at a caucus meeting after the caucus meeting went so after the walkout they headed straight to a caucus meeting after which they addressed the press indicating their clear disagreement with the directive or the ruling of the speaker especially in relation to uh, the ruling or the judgment that the budget has been rejected yes Oseiche Mensabunso leader of the majority group in parliament conducted business of the house and reported to have put the question on the prayer of the minister responsible for finance and thereafter engaged in another unconstitutional act by purportedly framing and putting another question on the acceptance or otherwise of the motion moved by the minister in respect of his presentation to the house on behalf of the president of the budget statement and economic policy for the year 2022. We want to put it on record that the speaker was totally wrong in what business that he purportedly undertook in the house in our absence. Now, what exercise he let for our colleagues on the other side to take a decision on related to a request 
from the minister to be allowed space to engage both sides of the house in order to have some consensus on the positions that the two house, the two sides of the house had adopted. I cannot recollect in my life in Parliament when a prayer by a minister to withdraw a document or uh, to be allowed to state a position is denied by the speaker. By this resort that, okay, I will not pronounce on it. Let me put it to vote. It's not happened before. We are living witnesses in this house. When has this happened? But be that as it may, he went ahead, did what he did in absence because we were not in the chamber. And then went ahead to state that the motion on the budget as moved by the Minister of Finance on Wednesday the 17th of November is lost. That whole procedure was unconstitutional. As far as we are concerned, it's null and void. There's no binding effect on anybody. Now, we say so because and so the motion on the budget, as far as we are concerned, has not been pronounced on by Parliament. It's still standing in the name of the Minister for Finance. Yeah. And in the fullness of time, a properly constituted house, not one presiding over, presiding over by the right honorable speaker, will make the decision. Yeah. Now, out of mischief, the speaker quoted Article 102 of the Constitution that, and I quote, a quorum of Parliament, apart from the person presiding, shall be one third of all members of Parliament. He was right. And the quorum is for the transaction of normal. That's the leader of the majority group in parliament, Oseche Mensa Bonsu. We'll begin the discussion, yes, uh, but the show is live and interactive. You can join us via the WhatsApp line 055058-5832. That's the number to join us with your issues, uh, with, with the comments you have on the discussion that uh, would play out uh, very soon. Now, to, to introduce my guest, I have in studio uh, Oliver, Oliver Baka Vomau Maosi, who's the convener of the Fix the country moving. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes. Also have Toma and me here, the business and financial journalist. Welcome, Toma. Thank you. Joining us on Zoom, we have uh, Deputy Minister for Finance, Dr. John Kuma. Welcome, sir. Thanks. Good morning. We also have uh, Dr. Kujo Asante, Director of Advocacy and Policy Engagement uh, with the Center for Democratic Development, Ghana, CDD, uh, also joining us via Zoom. And uh, welcome, sir. Welcome, Doc. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Doc. Loud and clear. Okay, good morning to you. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we've also been joined uh, by Dr. Rashid Draman, Social Executive Director of the Africa Center for Parliamentary 
affairs to give us perspective from the parliamentary civil society groups or parliamentary monitoring groups on all that is happening in the uh, country in relation to this budget approval and what it means for our democracy. Uh, we'll start the conversation with Dr. John Kuma on Zoom. Uh, for many, uh, this constitutes or this is the culmination of a lack of engagement by government. That is the, exp that, that is the interpretation some have put to this um, issue of disposed or rejection of, of, of the budget. Others also look at it from the viewpoint of parliamentary assertiveness, and that over the years, um, the uh, parliament has been run rough shot by a lot of these, a lot of the other arms of government, executive among uh, particularly, which is the point that the speaker has been making of late. Observing one as a member of parliament with a legal cap on, and also as, as someone who was engaged in the preparation of this budget before its presentation on the floor of the house what's your reading and interpretation of all of what has gone on in the last 24 hours well let me say it's a very sad uh, a very sad day in our democracy and uh, when Ghanaians gave a hand parliament or uh, almost a balanced parliament they were expecting that we will work together to bring uh, some more development to this country and ensure that our democracy is better developed. Unfortunately, it's turning out to be a very hostile uh, environment for the national agenda to even be discussed. First and foremost, I was very disappointed at the hostile attitude of the speaker. If you, if, if, I mean, in a parliamentary democracy, the highest form of violence in a parliament can enforce on anybody is to order a marshal to forcefully take somebody out. This is a finance minister who has come to parliament to plead or to request a prayer that he has heard the minority concerns, he has heard other people's concerns. All he's seeking is for opportunity to move. Hello? Hello? Sorry, I, I, am I on? You can hear you loud and clear. Yes, so all he was seeking to do was to build consensus with both parties. Only for the speaker to deny him not only the opportunity not to be heard, but also whilst he was on his way out, or was he was taking his back to leave. Okay, we'll, we'll bring the conversation to, into, to the studio while we resolve the issues, the technical issues with Dr. John Kuma. Um, Oliver, this is uh, a situation which many did not anticipate or even mm. anticipated mm. because of the uh, mandate that Ghanaians gave to the legislature, decided to vote one way clearly and vote another way in terms of the numbers. For the, bringing us on the precipice of history, having members of the House clearly divided 137 on either side of the section of one, with, with um, an independent candidate who's decided to, or an independent member of parliament who decided to do business with the majority group. Mm -hmm. The question uh, for, for, for many is how does what has happened, I mean, many has, it's, it's been described variously as 
as a measure of our parliamentary assertiveness. Mm -hmm. How is this situated in the call for better governance, which is essentially the um, the, the, the mantra right. yeah, for yeah. Fix the Country? No, so thank you for the question. I apologize to your viewers. Uh, I was out on the lawns of Parliament with my, my fellow activists from Fix the Country till as late as 10 p.m. last mm -hmm. night in, in monitoring the, the vote. And, and ensuring that the, the budget statement is rejected. Now, the truth is, yes, this is historic in, in every measure. This is the first time under the Fourth Republic that we've seen this happen. And I think, from, as far as I'm concerned, we're beginning to see the benefits of the Hung Parliament. Okay. You know, the Hung Parliament presents a lot of opportunities for strengthening democratic governance in many respects. One thing we need to be clear about is that the, the majority in Parliament is not the government's henchmen, mm. right? Our democracy impinges on trust that will better separate powers and the powers will be able to check each other. And so essentially, Parliament stands as one institution. And so we should not necessarily treat it as that this is executives, people representing themselves in Parliament, but they are, they are there as an institution holding the power of the press together with the minority in order to ensure that it is not abused. Now, the reason why there's a bit of discomfort for a lot of people is because we don't we are not used to Parliament asserting itself, right? We are, we are used to the executive always having his way in Parliament. And so this is the first time, for instance, where the executive has proposed a candidate for Speaker and has been defeated, the first time where the budget statement has been defeated. And I think that this augurs well for the ways in which we can build better conversations with each other. One of the bigger problems we've always had is that even when we win with one vote, we govern as if we had a, a landslide. And so we run roughshod over people, consultations are not committed to, and we don't, we don't really put in the effort to listen to the other side. Where you don't have the numbers, you have nothing but to have a conversation. And to be able to find a way in which whatever budget statement or whatever proposal you're putting before Parliament represents different voices. Now, I heard uh, the Deputy Minister talk about the Finance Minister trying to have a conversation with members of Parliament at the 11th hour. You do not consult at the 11th hour. Consultations are not done immediately before the question is put. right? And so that's a big failure of an executive that presumed itself that he it was always in control. You know, this concern that the minority has been raising, didn't raise it for the first time on the floor. They had had conversations previously about this. Civil society groups and different organizations have talked about this. First, the country had given notice that it was going to demonstrate in front of Parliament in respect of this. But... There was, a, there was a certain level of confidence from the finance minister where he said they were going to bring the, the, the minority over to its side. As far as I understand, the information I have available to me was that no formal engagements was, or entreatments were made to the minority in order to find a, a pathway forward regarding the most objectionable parts of this budget. Now, I want to make a final point. It is important for us to remember that the fact that this budget statement has been refused does not translate as a disincentive or lack of commitment by the minority or by parliament itself to ensuring that we have a proper budget that responds to our needs as a developing society. It is also important that we understand that when we have an elected government, we are not expecting of them to treat us uh, as if we are blockheads in the conversation, mm -hmm. that we have nothing to offer, that we have all the solutions and that when they say yes, we must all jump, or when they say jump, we must ask how high, and not question the reason why we must jump. So there's no doubt that we have straight and severe challenges in raising revenue. The question is whether or not this was the appropriate revenue to raise in the manner in which they proposed it. But the question also extends beyond e-levy, right? Like it's also constituencies that are not being factored into the budget statement. 
And these are conversations that we must not brush under the carpet in the haste that everything, every time the executive must have his way. Uh, that's, that's not amount to a grandstanding in the sense that if mm. this stalemate continues mm. up until the 31st of December, which is well, for the financial year, this, yeah. uh, what the appropriations be, which is currently in, being, it, it, uh, which is currently forced, being utilized, right. gets to the point that doesn't w work out, would that not amount to uh, the use of parliamentary force to stampede the rollout of government policies. So, so this is the thing, right? Government is, 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 is hinged on the idea that parliament always holds the power of the person. Mm. And so that when the, the government is coming for it to demand that it look at that power of the person, it is entitled to be able to scrutinize it and make a decision on the basis of that. Now, this is the first time you're knocking on parliament's door with a budget. Mm -hmm. And they expressing an opinion to you. In past times, there's so many instances where the person who is laying the whatever bill or whatever motion before Parliament is entitled to withdraw it, mm -hmm. take into concerns, take into consideration concerns that have been expressed, and come back again. For some reason, they refuse even to the eleventh hour of even considering that as an option. And so, I do not think that for the first time, when Parliament says these are our concerns, let's address those concerns, you will treat that as grandstanding, right? This is the proper use of the powers that the Constitution has given to them for them to help. The country govern itself. That's what I think. All right. Okay. I'm going uh, on to Zoom now and uh, engage uh, Dr. Kujo Asante of the CDD uh, on this on this on this issue of, of governance and, and our de democracy. So it's this it's many expected a different kind of uh, a different character for this parliament because of, of of the numbers. But Doc, did you expect to the extent of having a budget rejected as it stands? Yeah, anyway, good morning and uh, good morning to my panelists again. Um, first of all, uh, I think that uh, we should not panic. Okay. It is not the end of the world. Uh, just, uh, I think on Wednesday, if I believe the, the newly uh, uh, elected Swedish Prime Minister, uh, the first woman, I think, in 100 years in Sweden, um, basically leading a very tenuous uh, coalition government uh, presented a budget and it was rejected uh, that led to uh, one of the minority coalition members um, uh, dropping out of the coalition and within hours of her election uh, she was forced to resign so in other jurisdictions where uh, coalition politics where you you want to build inclusion you you need actually to build inclusion because of the the configuration of, of political parties and, and political interests and so on this is normal uh, this is normal and uh as uh baker has said uh in reality the issues that are being discussed are very important to ghana they impact on people's lives so there's nothing wrong with the finance minister uh, presenting a statement uh, and uh, parliament uh, in its all configurations suggesting uh, proposals or counter proposals which has a lot of public support and which in many ways should lead to some revision or some adjustment you know to the budget uh, I know that even in 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 the past, at least in the 2000s, uh, other estimates, so um, uh, from committees and so on and so forth, sometimes are revised 
before the appropriation bill is actually presented. So this is not, for me, it's not unusual. The last time this happened in 79, we had a knee-jerk reaction and decided to create a hybrid, you know, constitution where the president would appoint the majority of his ministers from parliament. And that has given us huge headaches. So, I mean, my first, my first reaction is that, please, don't panic. Okay. Just calm down. What has happened? You have to separate the legal implications from the political maneuvers and feeling of embarrassment or hurt and behavior, so on and so forth. Because, yes, colloquially, you can say the budget has been rejected. But really, what has happened is that the budget has, uh, the, the policy statement of government has not been adopted by parliament and it can be adopted by parliament even after this vote uh, the speaker's interpretation as to what half means uh, can be challenged you know maybe for president reasons but the debate can continue and the adoption can happen before we even get to the appropriations bill so uh for me as i said separate uh the politics from the legal effects, uh, that this, the, what has happened is not unusual. It is something that you know we have to take seriously because parliament has not built a culture of real sort of engagement around processes like budget. If you look at the budget timetable, civil society has always made the point, and uh, Dr. Daman is here, that the processes are too short and 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 forces people you know uh, into a corner it makes it very difficult so if you have the numbers oftentimes even if people want any uh, uh, changes or amendments and so on and so forth uh it doesn't happen you use your numbers to basically push it and then people will just make comments and so on and so forth but at the end this is about people's lives so you want really true consultation and engagement so let's start from there uh there is there is definitely for me, no harm, uh, as I said, apart from the politics that you have to, you know, uh, look at and see how the, the, the going forward, the two sides can continue to work together. But in terms of the legal implication for me, yes, politically, the NDC had had a win. Um, but in terms of the legal implication, uh, really, it has, for me, it's not has any, no big effect. Uh, okay. You can go back to the debate and conclude the process. Oh, Franklin, Kujo uh, uh, is also uh, is joining us also on Zoom. Uh, but I want to take that bit from 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 the uh, the question has for for me for me for to you is about the bit about engage and, and the engagement process, which is one that has been raised almost every step of the way. And the minority has also indicated that for them, if that engagement and the conversation had been uh, their concerns were factored into. The, the budget, uh, we wouldn't have this situation. What do you make of these concerns? Is this question for me? Or yes, Frank, let's for you. Yes. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning, my good friends on the uh, part of the conversation. Well, look, um, it is true that the, the, the processes leading to the creation of the budget is pretty short. And uh, from the standpoint of even the engagement in civil society, um, I had an email 
I think a day or two before the uh, consultation process was uh, announced that we should be part of a conversation at the ministry in order to uh, make inputs into the budget. And, uh, and I wondered that, well, really, how many days, within three days, what exactly, what type of inputs could we really make? Because don't forget, the, uh, um, the ministry would present the statement or present its, uh, its plans, and then we are supposed to make inputs into them. Don't get me wrong. I mean, in previous times, we've had ample time at least uh, three weeks to about a month. So I was uh, particularly taken aback when this one, uh, the email came, I think, on the Friday, uh, and I think on the Monday or so, we were supposed to meet and have a conversation. Um, from that moment, I started having the feeling that this budget was going to have some challenges. Because it told me quite clearly that the processes of engagement uh, was not we're not going to be that exhaustive so what has happened is a combination of several factors but i think that the best way to even have these consultations even before it gets to parliament is to have sector ministries budgets actually uh, proposals um, sort of vetted by uh, an, an amalgam of uh, cso's and various interest groups even before they present them to uh, uh, sorry, even before the finance ministry collates them. Because when the sector ministries uh, present their locations or expectations, there isn't much time for the finance ministry to go through them. And I suspect that is what must have happened in this instance. Of course, I'm not, I'm not uh, shying away from the conversation of the E-Levy. Let's not make it look as if it's only the E-Levy that uh, disagreements about the e-levy that led to this uh, rejection then there are other issues as well and and it, it all points to the lack of thorough you know exhaustive consultations and i think this is an opportunity for us to have broad extensive consultations even before the sector ministries present their allocations to or their expectations to the finance ministry and the finance ministry must have probably a month or two prior uh, time to have exhaustive consultations. And of course, in Parliament, I think the consultations were quite shambolic because the, it was taken for granted that uh, the budget was going to pass anyway. Look, even had the majority side been in Parliament, the budget wouldn't have passed without any hesitation. It would have been very difficult. And of course, there are other political reasons which I'm sure the NDC wanted to exact. Um, but I, I'd like to stay on the course of the non-exhaustive nature of the consultations. And as I said, I wasn't entirely surprised when I had an email um, on a Friday for an engagement, I think on the Monday or so, or Tuesday it was, so that the following day the budget was going to be read. Um, so there were signs all over the place. Okay. I mean, uh, we have in, uh, in studio a uh, member of parliament for Cape Coast South, you know, both Koko Tegan. He's worked at the finance ministry before, so understands how these issues uh, play out. I'll, I'll ask you for your uh, opening comments on this issue. Your, your, um, your colleague, uh, member of parliament, and also the current deputy finance minister, is it's, it's of the view that this was more politically motivated 
than looking at the economic, the, the interests of the country in terms of building consensus. Well, uh, thank you very much, and uh, good morning to your viewers and uh, my colleague uh, on the pan on the panel, and uh, my good brother uh, Franklin. Um, obviously, yesterday, you know, Parliament uh, rejected the motion that sought the approval of the budget, and uh, it uh, obviously happened for for many reasons. Uh, I think um, what uh, Franklin was uh, alluding to, that not much consultation was actually done. As you rightly said, I have worked at the Ministry of Finance before, and actually the budget hearing actually starts around March or April for, that, for November of that year. So there's actually an ample time to do a broader consultation if you want to. But obviously the consultation is usually limited to the, you know, MDAs and you know uh, um, other agencies that uh, the Ministry of Finance uh, sort of uh, uh, engaged to discuss the budget. So obviously, um, there are other stakeholders that should probably get involved earlier in the process to be able to address some of these concerns before they become topical and difficult issues actually to deal with. Obviously, Parliament should at some stage be part of the process not when the budget is about to approve to be approved when the finance minister then asks for a prayer which is basically time to do consultation on the budget without even specifying which area that he wants to consult on so basically it looks as he actually wants to rewrite the budget so if you want to rewrite the budget we give him the opportunity to do so and that is obviously you know the rejection that that obviously went on um Interestingly, when the budget debate actually started, which was uh, just this Tuesday, again, not much time for the, for the debate. The debate started on Tuesday and uh, closed on yesterday, Friday. The finance minister was not actually in the chamber when the debate was going on. You are supposed to be there. This is your budget. So if people have issues with your budget, you are supposed to be taking notes. And addressing them maybe behind the scenes and all that on a daily basis before you go you get to the final day in fact on a particular day i remember in the morning there wasn't a single you know if if he is not around he's got two deputies one of them is actually a member of parliament none of them none of them appeared in parliament and we were asking the concern was that there were technical people who were there doing the work. Technical well, technical, of course, they don't answer to parliament. Technical people yeah. don't answer to parliament. They'll be sitting behind the scenes and listening and all that. But the minister, this is your budget. This is something the president has authorized you to do. You have the, the, the budget is the president's budget. You are authorized to present this budget to parliament. So you should be the first point of call, not your... Um, the technical people are there to advise the minister. They are not there to take notes and answer our questions. So I think, you know, this is where we've gotten to. But again, all options are open to them. The budget being rejected, obviously. So even if you go and, you know, cross a T or dot an I, that could be represented as a new budget. And then we can, we can take a look at it, you know. On, and hopefully maybe some of the things that we have expressed concern, especially on the final day, when the minority leader put everything that had been discussed earlier on together as to what our concerns and the citizens of Ghana, hopefully they will begin to listen. You know, 
gone are the days when you say uh, the minority will, will, will have their say and the majority will have their way. We have never experienced the drama that happened. It's probably going to happen. It started on the 7th of, uh, of January. And it's probably going to go on for quite some time with the kind of parliament that we have now. That when even one person is not around could be a serious challenge. I mean, there were a whole lot of the drama that happened yesterday in Parliament was as a result of the majority, majority side waiting for some people to arrive by air. Can you imagine? So, obviously, we are, we are where we are. We want Ghana to work. You know, it's in the interest of Ghana that we, pro we provide, you know, the kind of opposition that we do by expressing the consensus uh, or the, the thinking of the people, the challenges of the people. So, we are where we are. I don't think there is anything that was done that was not, that was unconstitutional. Though I've heard certain arguments, I'm sure maybe we'll, we'll, talk, we'll get an opportunity to talk about those. But, things, you know, um, Speaker Bagbin, who is probably the most experienced person ever to sit in that chair, went through the process, sometimes to our dissatisfaction. But, he went through the whole thing and the, the what came out you know the motion was lost that was what the vote you know said and i think they should look forward we need a budget by 31st of december so if they want to us to work through christmas we will for the on, sake on, of on what, on what basis would the uh my, of course this is a situation where mm. something would have to give in yeah. terms of in, in the scheme of things yeah or what would what are the conditions, if I may put it that way, that the min minority group is given government to get the to, to ensure that this budget is passed? If I may, well, we, we, we express a lot of concerns on, 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 on a number of things. Probably you can say key, you know, among them maybe the yield levy, but there were other things that you know we spoke about, even the recent Qatar tidal wave has become an issue which we felt the government you know needs to address. So the things that we have, you know, they've, they've been, you know, um, listed. So if they look at those things and then do what they can do about those things, then we can be looking at that. But most importantly, my advice to them will be that they shouldn't just go and sit in some room and put certain things together and come and tell us that they have addressed their, their issues. They should begin to consult the way they should have done earlier. Otherwise, we wouldn't have got to where we are, we are at the moment. And I hope they take the advice and do it. If you're going to pursue a court action or all those things, it's not going to help anyone. At the end of the day, I believe the speaker followed, you know, the the the, the letter of the of the law, and that's where we are. So we should be looking forward. We are all ready to meet on Tuesday and look at the way forward. But it needs to be done with a more serious, you know, as I said, gone are the days when you think you can present a budget. The last hour I, I, I have been there since the sixth parliament. Yeah. When 169, 106, even if your 30 of your ministers are on travels and they don't show up, you will still come and, you know, knock our heads off. That doesn't happen anymore. That cannot happen anymore. Therefore, you know, there has to be a paradigm shift in the way we do some of these things. That things have changed. It's not business as usual. And that the concerns of the people will have to be listened to. Not just brush it under the carpet and believe that we can find way and all sorts of utterances, even by the finance minister. No, no, we know the way to get a minority 
to come along with us. And what does that mean? You know, the very person or the very people that you are actually going to negotiate with in terms of approving your budget, this is how you are talking about them. You put them to a corner. It makes it difficult for even to accept anything that 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 ordinarily should 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 be accepted in terms of approving the budget. Now we have to thoroughly, because the the the, the, the information is out there that you can knock our heads together and get your budget approved. So we've got to make sure our heads are not knocked together. Welcome to you, Toma. <clears throat> well, first of all. I, I mean, people who listen to me know that I'm very, very cynical when it comes to issues of um, partisan politics in the way this country is governed. First of all, I believe that the primary concern of parliamentarians when they've written on anything, including the budget, is about partisanship, political partisanship, rather than what is best for the country. I'm sorry to say it, but that is how I say it, because I always wonder how votes are always done strictly along partisan lines. Whereas you have policies which come up, some which can affect a particular constituency positively or negatively, all right? But at the same time, but nevertheless, the parliamentarians of um, MPP always go one way, and always go without considering how it affects their constituency in particular. So I really believe that largely that this was a political thing. However, having said that, it was a political thing in which the NDC was taking advantage of the fact that the tax itself, as John Junapa has constantly pointed out since it was announced, is, is regressive. Okay. The tax itself is not properly structured. Okay. Because it does amount to taxing taxation. I mean, if you go to a restaurant, as he pointed out, if you go to a restaurant and you go and buy food for 100 Ghana and you are paid by mobile money, already they've added on 17.5% VAT with the levies embedded in it. And you're now going to pay 1.75% tax on this 17.5% and all that kind of thing, which is wrong. Now, but the thing is this. This issue of taxi momu has been up in the air for years and years and years. I remember one NTN stakeholders forum which was held, which was, in fact was moderated by Bernada by your Bernada Flay. And um, the general consensus among stakeholders was don't do it. It's been tried in several African countries and it, the results were not particularly good. And government listened to that and held back. So the question now is what has changed since then? And the answer is simple. Government's fiscal position. This is a tax born out of sheer desperation. And that is why I hold the controversial view that even though it is retrogressive, even though it's not a correct tax, I think we should go, we should, we should go along with it. Now the thing is this. Government plans to make 6.9 okay, billion. So that, that, that discussion would be would, would go would go into that. Okay. Discussion in details a bit, a bit later on okay. in the third segment of not to cut. But let's 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 go on and, and speak to Dr. Dramani to bring some perspective from uh, doing work with our parliament, working with them, uh, sometimes consulting for them and consulting for other parliaments on the continent, and how peculiar this case is for the country. Thank you very much, um, 
and a good morning to um, my colleagues. Um, when I watched the events of yesterday, I think uh, a number of things uh, are running in my mind, and, and I want to mention four of them here. I think some of my colleagues have already talked about uh, the issue of consensus, the value of consensus and, uh, and coming together. You know, right from day one, because of the nature of this parliament, from January 7th, I think some of us have been saying it's going to be very, very important at every stage, in every business of the house, for there to be some kind of discussion, some consensus uh, between the two sides. Over the last uh, 11 months, I think what we have heard from Ben, I've had the opportunity sometimes of discussing with both leaders. I think, I mean, both of them think, well, one person will say something and then go and do another thing. Another one will say something and go and do another thing. So really, I think consensus has broken down over the last um, 11 months. And related to that is also the, the relationship, if you like, between particularly the majority side and the right honorable speaker. You know, over the last uh, 11 months, we've had several instances where you know, the speaker has been challenged um, more than we have we have seen in the in this fourth republic. Uh, some going to the extent of saying, "Well, the speaker doesn't have any power; he's not elected," and so on and so forth. And just this morning, um, when we had the deputy um, minister, he was saying, uh, "You know, the speaker rejected, you know, the plea by." the Honorable Minister of Finance. And we heard that in the clip by uh, the majority leader as well. So if we say the speaker doesn't have any powers and some members of the caucus uh, go on to make some of these statements, it doesn't help when it comes to moments like this because the speaker would say, okay, I have the constitution in my hand, I have the standing orders, and I'm going to go strictly by that. And uh, and I guess nobody can fault the speaker uh, for doing what he did yesterday. So that's the first thing. You know, the, the, the second is, you know, what some of my colleagues have said. I mean, the, the power of parliament in budgeting. You know, over the years, I mean, I've, uh, my engagement with our parliament um, you know, we've tried at one point, even together with CDD, uh, to help Parliament set up a parliamentary budget office, similar to the Congressional Budget Office, to give uh, Parliament and its committees, you know, the kind of powers that they need to really scrutinize the budget, uh, interrogate the estimates, and so on and so forth, get a lot of expert advice, and so on. Um, I never thought that we'll get to this day when um, you know parliament will really assert itself and become if you like um, you know in 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 parliamentary budgeting we have three categories of parliament 
I mean, budget uh, making parliaments, budget influencing parliaments, and then parliaments that do not have any, any, I mean, any powers in budgeting. Over the years, what we have seen is that our parliament has demonstrated the characteristics of one that really does not have any powers in budgeting, mainly because of the numbers that we have had over the years. I think yesterday what we saw was that, you know, our parliament has demonstrated that really it can be among the ranks of parliaments that have a lot of powers in, in making, in making a, a budget. Then the, the, thir the third issue um, for me is, you know, the role of parliament in this whole process. You know, Franklin talked about consultation with civil society uh, and consultation with parliament. You know, over the years, what we have seen is that most of the time, members of parliament, a majority of them, see the budget for the first time when it comes uh, to the floor of the house when the honorable minister presents the budget there are some who argue that apart from consultations with civil society i think there has to be extensive consultation with members of parliament so that there are no surprises you know i believe that if this was done in this particular case particularly uh, keeping in mind the numbers that uh, that that exist in this current parliament Maybe we would have averted this uh, this embarrassing uh, situation yesterday. And uh, the fourth thing, if you allow me, I think it's just uh, the politics also. You know, in the in the in the first meeting, when the ministers, I mean, uh, uh, ministers designate were being vetted and approved. You know, the minority side took a lot of flack. I mean, both from their 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 base as well as from uh, many ordinary Ghanaians that they said one thing before they went into vetting some of the ministers and then when it came to counting the numbers they said something different this time around um you know many were waiting to see what they were going to do uh and as uh, the honorable member uh, rightly said i believe maybe the the minister and and the government maybe um, felt that they could find a way of getting the, the minority to, to come along. But the minority learned its lesson. The many said that the first test at holding the government accountable, which was uh, the vetting and approval of the ministers, they failed that test. And I believe they did not want to fail uh, this second test in order to uh, get themselves um, uh, to project an image that you know they are uh, an alternative government government uh, in, in waiting of course they made a number of other demands i mean you know i believe that the one that most Ghanaians are behind them on is uh, this issue of uh, of e-levy that uh, some of my colleagues have spoken about well the, the question uh, will then be that how, how, what, what what remedies exist what remedies exist for this uh, breakdown in consensus? If, if, if that, that's, the, that's, that's, the, that's the next question that uh, are on the minds of many, Dr. Ramani. Yes, I think that they, they have no option. Um, they would have to find a way uh, to work together. They would have to find a way 
uh, to at all times sit down because I mean this country needs the, the entire parliament. I mean we are not talking about uh, uh, a parliament that that um, we want to see uh, sometimes I mean being on the side of the executive instead of being on the side of the institution to which to which they all belong. Um, within civil society, I think Star Ghana has tried to lead uh, some effort. In fact, I was involved in that in trying to make sure that we have maybe a series of, uh, of, of dialogues that would help build consensus in this, uh, in this parliament. But that has not happened for a number of reasons. And I believe, you know, uh, taking note of January 7 and taking note of what happened yesterday, uh, it is not late. And as uh, Kuju said, uh, we should not be panicking. I think uh, they can still work together. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done uh, to, you know, build bridges between the two sides. But most importantly, to build bridges between, um, first of all, uh, the majority side and the right honorable speaker and uh, and then the the minority side and the right honorable speaker because yesterday we had even at one point the minority side angry um, with the right honorable speaker so it's not only the the majority side and we cannot afford not to have some continuous conversations and bringing the two leaders in particular uh, and perhaps maybe the the, the broader leadership uh, at all times. Okay, so we'll, we'll take a break uh, here. Uh, when we're back, we'll look at the, of course, take the views around the table in connection with what, what remedies exist and then get into the question of uh, the legalities of it and whether it matters in this in this instance. We'll back after the break. Stay with us. Sister. <laughs> Special welcome to our, our viewers on television. This is the big issue. Over the past one hour, we've been discussing the matters unfolding, culminating in the uh, rejection of the budget uh, per the ruling of Speaker Alban Bagbin um, on the floor of Parliament yesterday, of course, which the majority group disagrees with and uh, indicates that per the basis on which that decision was taken, it is not 
it is not one that stands and is null and void. That's, those are the words of the majority leader or chairman samples. Of course, there is a clash of the group's uh, lack of consensus and uh, at the end of it all, the policy statement of, of, of government uh, for the next fiscal year or economic statement, a policy of economic statement uh, seems to be in limbo. And that is the matter of contention and discussion here on the big issue. Before we went to the break, um, we were looking at the matters of how, we're looking at the matter of how this issue of consensus and the remedies that exist uh, really in a situation such as this. I have uh, still have in studio uh, Oliver Baker, Vomawo, the Face the Country Movement, um, the Honorable Kiku Rekitsegan, MP for Cape Coast South, Tomai uh, Mihir, Business and Financial Journalist, and on Zoom we have uh, Dr. John Kuma, uh, that is on, join us uh, virtually, Dr. John Kuma, uh, Deputy Finance Minister. Uh, we have uh, Dr. Rashid Dramani of the Africa Center for Parliamentary Affairs, uh, ASEPA, and we also have uh, Dr. Kujo Asante, Director of Advocacy and Policy Engagement at CDD, as well as Franklin Kujo, uh, Founding President of Imani Africa. Let's 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 uh, come back in studio. Uh, begin begin with you. Look, let's look at the remedies that 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 exist. You are, fix the country has sort of become synonymous with persons looking for a change in the direction of of, of, of governance. What what the, what what remedies do you think exist in terms of getting these policies out there that would trickle down to affect everybody, the masses that you represent? So I think one of the things is clear uh, in the ways in which we want to contemplate the issue. Mm -hmm. Our sense is that this is the very first time that some people are doing the job of directly mobilizing citizens in a non-partisan fashion and bringing them into the process. It's the first time ever Ghanaians have even gone to parliament and picketed parliament on the day when decision has to be made on the budget statement. I think that is important in bringing our voices directly into the conversation. Uh, the other panelists talk, for instance, about rejection of the, of, the, of the budget itself being a partisan decision. And I think it's important that groups like us recognize the incentives that exist to create a framework where parties see that rejecting it would enhance, would enhance them in the eyes of Ghanaians. And that's what we are trying to do to mobilize and capitalize on the opportunities that exist in a, in a traditional institutional sense where we do not always feel aligned with the political class on, on different issues. So that's the first thing. I genuinely believe that bringing people into the conversation and reaches the process rather than takes away from it. Now, secondly, I think we should not pretend that the scope of taxes that this government or any government can raise is only limited to the, the tax that we find objectionable. Okay. Like, it would be a lack of imagination to think that if we do not tax Momo Levy, then there's no other way in which we can raise revenue. That's one of the things we need to consider as we, we enlarge the way in which we bring people into the conversation and, and process that. The final point I want to make is this. Uh, in terms of the way forward, and perhaps we get a bit into that, I'm a, I'm a lawyer who's always afraid and shy to even admit that I'm a lawyer. Because oftentimes we're always quick to think of the judicial solutions rather than look at the benefits that exist in conversation. There's no way out through the courts on this matter. But, uh, the majority of the executive can bring back a new budget and can bring back different solutions that can raise revenue for us to be able to move forward in our aspirations as a nation that wants to develop. To, to consider the legal aspects of this conversation will be entirely the question in courts forever. I mean, the Supreme Court barely comes back on any issue uh, less than six months, right? But the way forward here now is that, okay, go back to the drawing board, engage the persons that we need to be able to engage, ensure that there's no government shutdown by, by the end of the first. Mm -hmm. That is important to ensure that so many Ghanaians whose 
jobs depend on the budget being approved, are assured going into the new year that these issues will be resolved. Let's not take that for granted, I would say. Okay. Let, let me engage uh, Dr. John Kuma, uh, uh, Deputy Finance Minister. Uh, are you on the line, sir? Doctor, yes. Dr. John Kuma. Okay, so uh, same same issues. We try, we'll try and, yeah. and sort out the, yeah. the challenge uh, with right. the respect to the response from him on mm. the issues of engagement and consultation, which is which is broken down. What alternatives you mean for for, for the, the well, government well, in this I case? I think it should it should start with how we repair the situation that we are in at the moment. Okay, I mean we are not talking about waiting to consult in the next year's budget. We still have a budget that has not been approved yeah. that needs to be approved. For the country to continue to function next year so um i'm not a lawyer i mean they can look in the constitution as they have started already to look at options legal options available to them but i don't think that's going to help them or help the country i mean the 104 that i've heard a, a, a lot of them talking about you know stops at just the first sentence you know because when we started the process of voting 276 people were in parliament, members of parliament, who registered that they were present and they were going to vote. The voting started where we did a, a, you know, the, the, voice, the voice vote, and then they, 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 they objected to the speaker's uh, ruling. So they were already there present voting. If somebody had gone to the washroom or gone out to have a cup of tea and comes and election is finished, you are not going to say that you were not in the room. You were present and supposed to be voting. So they decided to stay your walk out. But the process had already started. They have been marked as present and voting. So for me, that is neither here nor there. We need to look forward on and begin to think that on the government side and all of us that things are not going to be as business as usual. And that the old days of we have the majority and we can get anything done is far gone. And that probably this is the type of parliament that, that, that we need, that Ghanaians need, for us to be able to address issues objectively rather than, you know, looking at it in, in uh, as my brother said, you know, partisan way or that. But it is clear that this thing has been rejected. We need a budget. So if we are going to start this consultation on all the things that we've talked about, it should start on how we repair this situation. And that is for us to sit down and look at, look, we got this wrong. Let's look at it and see how we can fix it. We need the money. Just before, we need the money. We need the, like he, he rightly said, that it's a desperation. But we're not going to be granting taxes based on desperation. You know, so we look at what, what other options, as he, he rightly said, what other options do we need? You know, when you're looking for revenue, you should also be looking at your expenditure. Are we spending in certain areas that we should discontinue or that maybe too many promises were given and that we need to look at them and see how we're going? If we don't approve this, there's going to be a revenue short, yeah. shortfall of over $6 billion. Yeah. And that $6 billion takes away the $100 billion that they are expecting to, to get in 2022 in terms of revenue. How do we plug that hole? And what other options? E-levy is not the only tax option. At the moment, there's a bill of exemptions, you know, before yeah, us. Yeah. Can we quickly work on that 
and pass that so that the billions of money that we give away upfront can actually be used to plug instead of going to burden you know because this is tax revenue that we we, we, see, to, we see to most most of the time foreign companies so can we lessen the burden on our people by not imposing momo tax but rather imposing it on somebody else who is coming to benefit from us these are the things that we need to sit down and look at objectively rather than looking at this is a political decision as the my honorable colleague uh, deputy finance minister is saying and it's a political decision by the no if we start with that approach then it means we haven't learned anything this parliament from january 7 i said this parliament by the time we finish <laughs> would have taught all of us a lesson and probably changed the way we think Dr. Jankumar, so you, the, the concern is that one, there is, there is lack of engagement, two, the options on the table for government are quite wide and wide, and it, it could mean recession, withdrawing the, the, the whole statement and laying one hands that has been, that has all the issues that have been raised by, by all, by all um, stakeholders, including the, the, the minority. If you look, if you think through what has transpired so far with the process and how it's, it's, the feedback is received from all stakeholders, what options are available to you and which of them would government take? Hello? Hello? Dr. John Kuma. Yes. Yeah, so my question is, uh, to you is that um, yes. the discussions that, that have transpired so far, yes. there, there is a concern that the engagement process leading to the presentation of this budget on the floor of parliament was uh, flawed in a way. And as a result of that, the, my, 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 the minority has been described as, a, many have described as a political decision, whether that holds true or not, it's, it's, it's for, you to, for you to tell us. But what options are available on the table for government? And yeah. which options um, do you take? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, sorry for the bad network. Um, I've been following, and uh, let me clearly... Uh, hello? Yes, uh, let me put it on record that as far as we are concerned, the 2022 budget has not been rejected by Parliament. And whatever took place was an illegality and an unconstitutional. We have actually issued, uh, the majority side has actually issued a statement to that effect. And on Tuesday, when we go back to the chambers, I believe that we will do the necessary, uh, we'll take the necessary steps to correct the errors that have been made. So I just want to put that on record. And I also want to agree with some of the statements that have been made from Dr. Chum and Co. That, uh, and Franklin Kujo, that we should become and do more consent, uh, uh, consultations and build consensus. And, and, and for my, uh, the fellow MD, the Honorable Cape, uh, member from Cape Coast, he says that we should move on uh, going forward and try to build consensus. Yes, government is always ready to have that engagement. But this is the situation where at one breath we say that you are not engaging enough. And another breath, the finance minister comes to parliament to say that I have heard your concerns. Give me an opportunity to engage further before we put the question. 
And then we, we have the Speaker of Parliament uh, calling the marshal on him. You know, so how do you build consensus in such an environment? So, and, and yeah, told, is this to give us the indication that there will be a formal challenge of this oh, on the floor of parliament? Nothing has taken place as far as we are concerned. There has been no rejection of the budget. And we are going to have the quorum on Tuesday to decide on the budget. Article 104 of the Constitution and Order 109 of the Constitution clearly speaks to that. Yes, we can have one third quorum to discuss all matters. But when it comes to decision making, and the the, 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 rate, the signing for attendance that he's talking about. It's not what Article uh, 104 of the Constitution is saying. Article 104 of the Constitution clearly stipulates that for a decision to be made, you have to have at least half of the members in Parliament at the time. Okay? And you were on notice that the majority side had worked out. So you knew that half of Parliament was not there. And so you cannot stand on radio and say that it has been done, let's move forward. We'll move forward in legality and under the constitutional provisions that we have. And uh, I heard Dr. Dramani also referring to some of the comments people have made about the authority of the speaker. Yes, we are not saying that the speaker doesn't have authority. But the speaker of the authority, not just the speaker, even the chief justice, the president, and every public officer your authority is defined in the law. And you can have an authority if you exercise it outside the powers or the jurisdiction of your authority. That renders it null and void. So the fact that you're a speaker, it does not allow you to be giving orders to ministers of state when you are not the president. There are rules. Okay? So if somebody disagrees with how you have exercised your power, it does not mean that he's saying you don't have power. We are not actually saying that it doesn't have power, but we are saying that in Article 296 of the Constitution, when you are given a power or authority, you must exercise same with a lot of reasonability and not capriciousness. This is clearly provided in our Constitution, in the exercise of our discretion and power. And that is where we have a problem. When the Constitution and Article 114 says that the minister, the vice president, deputy ministers, can take part in a debate, in a proceeding. In fact, the Constitution uses the word proceeding. Okay, I want to, I want to ask you, is voting part of proceedings? Yes, he, he may not have a vote, but he's entitled to sit in the proceedings. Okay, he may not have a vote, but he's entitled to sit in the proceedings. And if we raise this concern, you order the marshal of him, that falsely he must be taken out of parliament. Is that how you build consensus? Is that how you allow government business to run and say that the parliament is no longer the same and so we are setting our authority? If you assert your authority in this way, you are rather bringing down the image of parliament. And so let's all be mindful about how we exercise the so-called authority that we say we have. We, we are prepared on the majority side to engage as government. Yes, for instance, uh, when Franklin Kujo said he was only contacted a day to the budget or two. So, yes, maybe not enough consultation. Those genuine concerns could be done. But you see, the issues of the budget and sometimes the sensitivity of it also makes it practically difficult for certain open consultations to be done ahead of the budget. So clearly, uh, it would be better if we could have more consultations ahead of the budget and engagement. And I, 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 I'm fully for it that if there's a, a way that the finance minister can engage the costs even a week or two ahead of the budget, but all these things will mean that 
there must be some sense of good faith on each side. But if you have every side trying to score political points, look what has been done, like uh, the other uh, uh, man in the studio, I don't know his name, said it's purely politics, and I agree with him. It is just a partisan uh, way of making a statement that we have rejected the, the, the budget. Just to make a political statement for the political partisanship advantage of its sake. But if truly, truly, as a minority leader gave grounds for his objection, if they were truly committed, why not engage? The man is not in a hurry. He says, it's my budget. Let me engage you further. Dr. Yankuma, but looking beyond the issue of partisanship and looking at real workability of a government policy that has been presented, is, 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 is the uh, posturing the majority taking, would that not be difficult to get the minority around the table? Because to pass this budget, you clearly need many more numbers from, you need, you need numbers from the minority side that you do not have um, currently based on the, the structure and the configuration of, of, of parliament. Well, we may even engage and still not get the numbers, but at least allow the engagement. It is critical. Everybody on this panel is talking about consensus building. At least listen, okay? But to say I'm not listening to you, and my senior in the studio, the MP from Kekos, uh, was saying that I, there was a time that even the minister was not in chambers and his deputies were not there, really. He knows that all MPs, sometimes you are even advised because of COVID to follow proceedings on your television. This is life. You don't have to sit in the chambers for the minister to be able to note concerns if that is the objective. But we have been there throughout. Okay? But it is rather the impatience. And look, as soon as the so-called rejection of the budget happened, we saw a notice out that the speaker is taking a flight to Dubai for uh, medical reasons with other members of his family. So clearly, it was rather the speaker who was in a hurry and impatient to listen for that engagement to happen, and not the finance minister. Okay, so let's, uh, let's have this discussion in perspective, and all of us come to the understanding that, first of all, even if you're a speaker, you are a speaker within the constitution and within the laws of this country. And so when the constitution says that before you take a decision, before you put a vote, you have to make sure that half of parliament is present and that a simple majority of them decision will carry. You must ensure so. It's not like you say, you say we should move forward and then condone the illegality. Okay. We are not going to agree to this illegality and unconstitutionality. We will make sure that the right stipulations and enshrined uh, uh, articles of the constitution are also respected. So we are ready to engage. And in fact, the finance minister was there with a prayer for further engagement and consensus. Why, why, why was the speaker in a hurry? We are only told that he was, he was, in fact, his flight was even being delayed. Okay, so if you write a whole government decision to be made based on your flight to Dubai, how do you expect the nation to rally around it? When we could have engaged better, if you are returning on the 14th, there are deputy speakers to take charge for once you are away. But for you to rush and, and, and create and walk over the constitution and, and disrespect the rights of others in the same chamber and say that we are building consensus, we are showing the powers of parliament. Please, this is not how we exercise the powers of parliament. Okay? And, and my brother Oliver says that he's seen the assertiveness of parliament. My, my brother, I, I, I disagree. This is not how we accept 
the, the right of parliament by uh, openly flouting on, on consensus building when we know it's a difficult, it's a difficult uh, parliament. I believe that the essence of why Ghanaians even voted for this closed parliament is to ensure consensus building. So if the minister comes and the constitution allows him to be part of proceedings, and the speaker is so angry towards him, he's so unfair towards him, he even orders the marshal to walk him out falsely against the constitutional provision of his right to be part of proceedings. He's not going to vote. And look, in the divisions, even when we oppose the yeah, yeah, and no, no, every MP is supposed to exit parliament one by one, and once you are leaving, your name will be written, and then we will count the numbers. So how is the minister's presence going to affect the numbers of parliament on each side? How? What, what, what Why do you have to call the marshal on him? What, what about the concern of, of uh, what brought about the workout when um, some members of the majority, some of your colleagues, indicated that the worst concerns about the NDC general secretary in the yeah. public gallery asking well, to, to leave. See, it became very disheartening yes. when we realized that even though the constitution allows the finance minister to be part of proceedings, the speaker was calling the marshal on him, and yet his own political party general secretary was in the public gallery. Really? Who allows that? Where is our sense of fairness? And then we prefer to be comfortable with people who are in our party than those the constitution allows to be part of our proceedings. So that is what made the majority side very uncomfortable and we felt that we needed to protest using legitimate parliamentary tool of a workout. Okay? So what the speaker did, for us, very unacceptable. It is unconstitutional. Even the fact that the numbers were not up to half of parliament and yet he went ahead to take the decision shows that this is a speaker who says that he is the oldest in the parliament and clearly must know or reasonably must know the provisions and stipulations of the constitution. So yes, government is prepared to engage. And in fact, it is based on this engagement that all these confusions are happening. And how was the finance minister uh, uh, wrong when he says that you find a way to bring on board our friends on the other side? What is so uh, 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 indicting about such a statement that, oh, we will find a way to work with our friends on the other side? I think it, is, it must all be seen in the spirit of consensus building, just like we are all advising him. Because, yes, he says that I presented a budget. He has had public concerns. He has had the position of the minority, including the tidal wave problem in Qatar, which has not been factored in the, in the, in the allocations. So he says, okay, yes, I've heard your concerns. You are talking about the re-levy. So can you give me a little time to engage further? and see what I can do. He, he brought a motion. It is in, in the president's budget he presented on his behalf. He, it is his motion. And instead of engaging him, instead of building that consensus Ghanaians have asked us to do, you rather order violence on him. Okay? One of the parliamentary tools of violence is calling the masha. Why did he do that? So please, let's be objective about this matter and stick to the constitutional provisions of our country. Let's respect each other within the law. We are prepared. Where we are wrong, we will accept it. So it will not say that we were waiting for people who were catching flights to come to Ghana. It is rather our speaker who has just announced to us that his flight was rather delayed. 
Okay, and the budget that we have rejected, it's that same budget that is going to pay for his hospital bills. He's traveling on the taxes of, of this country. So let's be fair. Okay, very well. Let me let me come in studio now. Yeah, please. I, I, I need to clarify one thing. When I said the word NDC did was political, let me explain the thing. What I'm saying is that both sides operate purely on the purely political, politically partisan um, level. Only that this time around, for the first time, the majority did not have the numbers to see their political partisanship through. So it's the minority that had the numbers, and that's why they were able to get away with their own political partisanship. I'm not saying that it was just like in isolation, the NDC was just trying to pull down the budget. It is, it is an ongoing thing that needs to be addressed in this country about the fact that all parliamentarians just follow their party. Are you telling that there is nobody, there's no single person among all the MPP um, uh, parliamentarians? Who has problems with e levy or some other issues in the budget? This was why are you telling me that the, 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 all from both sides, but uh, they were dealing in line, three line web system. Exactly. The, the other thing about the city consultation thing, which I totally agree with my colleagues here, the consultation was, was slow. Let me just review something to you guys. Part of the reason why was that just like in previous years, the budget itself was being rushed. You understand? Also. The part I will tell you something very secret. Because now the even the budget speech, financial the, the MP, even, the, even the finance minister started his speech late because he was still waiting for the speech to be completed. I will not say I will not say air by who, but <laughs> waiting for the speech to be completed. But there were gaps in the statement. I even got I even got the speech before just before why why MPs were waiting for 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 the thing to be delivered. That's when I I got a copy. Anyway, look. The thing was this, even up to just how many days before the speech was delivered, the figures even within the Ministry of Finance itself were for a 7.9% fiscal deficit. When the eventual presentation came out, it was 7.4%. Which tells you that it, it was even in the last couple of days that the thing was changed from 7.9 to 7.4. My speculation was that they got the approval to go ahead with the E-Levy thing just at the last second. That's how they were able to cut so the problem is that how do you build consensus ahead of a presentation when you do not have the presentation okay. and that's something else that needs to change because you shouldn't even have waited i mean we are talking about not waiting to the to the day of the vote before the finance minister does consultations with mps okay. where even i'm even saying that so this thing should even have been done before the budget is unveiled i mean not 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 necessarily the 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 figures Per se, but I mean, the strategies yeah. like the e levy, for example, this is something that should have benched, they should have brought up with stakeholders before. Look, this is what we want to do. What do you guys think? This is why I want to do it. Can we get you on board? You know, those kind of things. But it's not possible when these things come in and put in at the very, very last second before the budget is, is unveiled. Okay, there is a question of unconstitutionality, yes, and and um, that being challenged, first of mm -hmm. all, and that. It should be settled before uh, the, the issue of engagement is, is yeah. brought in. Yeah. At least that is the some point of mm. what mm. Dr. John Kuma is saying. You know, I was, I was hoping that again we don't devolve into the legalities, but we, we should perhaps because he seems to insist that this is a sore point where to proceed, you must proceed constitutionally. As a constitutional lawyer myself, it's something that gladdens my heart. I wonder whether this, the scope for this conversation is now, but let's do it. The, 
the constitution article 104 should not be read in isolation from the standing orders of parliament our constitutional jurisprudence is clear the parliament is a master of its own rules the parliament has determined that you check for that constitutionality before the question is put so the bigger question in this case is when was the question put for for the vote to be held now the question was put before the voice vote and not after the voice vote now at that point is when you determine whether or not the the quorum requirement for the purposes of voting and the 104 has been fulfilled so when the when the the mpp then challenged the voice vote as they are allowed to understanding orders they could have at that point raised the fact that we did not have quorum which would have, we didn't have the quorum necessary which would have failed but they challenged the speaker's ruling and asked for a division so at that point again quorum issues you understood has already been fulfilled then just before the division is held to work out i mean i don't think that Quorum and failed. I mean, we don't the, check. The, the, we don't the, check for whether or not quorum is the, the question about before division. One zero four is about quorum to transact. Quorum for no, no, no. sitting of the house. So the two times one zero four is about quorum to take a decision. Yes. That is, so this is what I'm talking about. Yes. So this is what I'm talking about. One zero four is about quorum to vote, and the voting matters, mm -hmm. right? And the standing order says you check whether that quorum exists before the question is put. Okay, so whether or not we have at least half of the members present before the question is put, and obviously by the time the question was put, there were there was more than uh, 138 MPs on the floor. At the time division is held, then that is mid voting because it's two it's a two stage voting process. You vote by voice, you challenge it, you go into division. So when then we are going into division and you decide to work out for the purposes to uh, to of triggering 104, they will never govern in this country appropriately. It will never happen. Because all you have to do when you fail on the voice vote is to challenge it and quickly run out. Mm -hmm. I, th I think constitution and the spirit of the constitution will be defeated if that's the way in which we want to proceed on it. Mm -hmm. So that's my view on it. Again, they are entitled to their legal view, which is different. My question is whether or not in this space and this time, you want to be able to be going into on technicalities which are not necessarily in your favor, rather than focusing on the big picture, that we need a minority on board we need to push the budget through, and how do we solve the problem? Okay. Yeah, um, there are a couple of things that I need to actually, uh, my honorable brother was saying that uh, I need to correct. I mean, first of all, I think this uh, posture is not going to help us. And the attacks on the speaker mm. is also not going to really help us. Look, whatever the speaker, wherever the speaker is going, medical or whatever, has nothing to do with what we were doing yesterday. The budget was presented at the time that it was presented. As he said, yes, we have two deputy speakers, but they are not the speaker. Okay? And this is a pretty much one of the biggest or the biggest events in Parliament, you know, for every year. Well, the budget meeting. B budget. Okay? So, talking about the speaker, not be, look, certain things have happened in this budget. First and foremost, when the um, Roads and Highways Minister... Mm -hmm went to stop you know uh, the the collecting money at the tools mm -hmm. it was clearly in the finance minister's presentation mm -hmm. that this should happen after approval mm -hmm. clearly he went ahead and decided that he was going to stop it mm -hmm. the speaker brought his attention to it he is a member of parliament mm -hmm. and decided not to not to not to respond to that the same thing he, you know, he, he is talking about, you come to us at the 11th hour. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, when he was, what came to mind is a, when, when you go into a wedding, you know, normally when people are about to marry, mm -hmm. they ask if anybody has anything mm -hmm. to say, you know. It's about the, the, the priest asking this question. 
And then the husband and the wife actually answers yes, that I have something that, you know, I needed to say, which is something that, you know, should have probably been done if it's the man and the wife who are going to get married. This is the situation that we are in. We have the finance minister telling us at the 11th hour, when the pastor is just about to pick now, yeah, that's when you say that uh, you want to do consultation. Look, we need to do better than this. As I said, we, we, I have been at the Ministry of Finance before. The things that he's talking about, I understand the processes very well. We are not doing, and it didn't start yesterday. We've not been doing expansive, you know, consultation. Consultation. It's a problem. And we've got to do that. In the past, probably we've all gotten away with it. With this majority thing, you go and you get your budget through. 169, 106. If 30 people, I was saying, don't show up, you still get your budget done. We need to change our thinking. And the posture, the arrogance with which they are trying to approach things, is not going to help anybody. But with what is being presented, what the Deputy Finance Minister says, it means that this is far from over because at the next sitting, the majority intends to challenge the speaker. Well, they have, if they have legal avenues to them, but I'm not a lawyer, but just looking at just what I, I just pointed out, looking at the 104, it stops at just the first sentence. Okay. The idea of having half and all that. Look, we have 275 people in parliament. Half is 137.5. Mm -hmm. That is basically absurdity because you don't count human beings in halves. Mm -hmm. So then half becomes 137 or 138. You can challenge it either way. You can't say 138 is, is half. Probably you can't say 137. And you can't have half human beings. And 0.5 mathematically can be rounded up or down. So we have a lot, you know, to talk about going forward. But this is not going to help us. We need a budget on the 31st of December for us, to, for the government, to be able to spend on this so many things that they've talked about. If that is the posture that they are going to have, then they're just going to make things difficult for, for themselves and for Ghanaians. All the promises about youth, entrepreneurship, and all that, that they need money to fund. They need to be able to, they need to think again and see how we can go forward in this and address the concerns of Ghanaians rather than, you know, challenging the speaker and doing all manner of things. Look, the president is the president of the republic, you know, for the next three or so years. The speaker of parliament is the speaker of parliament for the next three or four years. We need to be able to work together and stop this unnecessary challenging and speaker was rushing because he needed to travel. I mean, we, don't, we are not working on Saturday. I'm sitting here. The speaker is somewhere. I don't know where John is. You know, so they shouldn't be bringing those things in. You ask for some time to talk or to have consultation. We said consultation is over. We are at the altar. Please marry us. You said no. Then we voted and you lost. The beginning of proceedings in terms of voting, you were, you've all been recorded as present and voting. If in the middle of it you decide to walk out, it's just like somebody walking to the washroom and by the time they come back, the, the, the voting is over. And you cannot say that because you went to the washroom, it means that, uh, what is it called, we didn't have, we didn't have the numbers. As he said, we have started already. We've gone for voice, voice, voice voting already. And you have challenged it. You were in the room. You challenged the first, the first voting, which is by voice. You challenged it. 
and then we're going to go ahead and do what uh, the the standard orders provide in in such a you know situation and that one of them is to clear the lobby now the where general mosquito is as here in Katia is it's not the chamber of the parliament the floor is the chamber not a floor that's a public area in fact you didn't even ask for the people up there to clear you specifically single a citizen of ghana forget about his position that he cannot be there because the 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 the, the speaker asks the finance ministers and other others to leave when you are doing a voice you said the voice is about you hearing something different if you challenge it from what the speaker had now there are people in there who could add their voice to that voice and they are not a mem they are not members of parliament and that is why they are asking them to to leave they have been part of proceedings so that we can get the vote itself which is about hearing to making sure that the voices are coming from the right people who should make you know say either i or say say no i mean the issue of marshall was that he was reminding them that if because i saw a couple of ministers so sitting down I think it was, it was an issue about the way in which it was, was done. Maybe dignity was an indignified manner to move. Yeah. That, well, that's, well, that's maybe the point that we well, was trying to put across. It, 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 maybe. Oh, I mean, my, yeah. my brother, maybe. can I ask my senior a question? You may. Can Let's I ask my senior yeah. question? Yeah, you may. Uh-huh. Senior, you, yeah. do you agree that the Constitution says that Ministers, deputy ministers, vice president can take part of proceedings. Yes, one one one. Article one 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 says that. But at the bottom of article one one one, Mother John, read the bottom of article one one one. Yeah, I'm asking the question. Yeah, okay, okay, sure. I want to find out from you. Yeah, I want to find out from you. Is voting part of proceedings? Is voting part of proceedings? Yes, as part of proceedings, can you vote? Well, everything that everything that happens in Parliament is, is part of proceedings. But then there are also so now based on this, I'm coming. I'm mm -hmm. not saying the speaker or the minister had a vote. I'm not saying he had a vote. Yeah. The constitution says that he's entitled to be part of the proceedings. Mm -hmm. So the answer you have just given me that everything that happens in Parliament is part and, of proceedings. And the, yes, and the right for the speaker to call the marshal on him. That is why just being part of proceedings. If I can answer. That is yeah. why the the same constitution that you are quoting from the one 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 at the bottom also yeah. says after all the things you've said, it yeah. also says that except that he is not entitled to vote for a vote, which yes. he wasn't voting. But he has well, how do you know he wasn't voting? We are doing a voice, a voice voting. No, but the division, the which has been challenged, the division goes beyond the voice vote because after the division. Each MP was supposed to edit Parliament for his name to be written. Well, you are so talking about the second stage. Yes, so that's where the first stage was. Right? How do you get the second stage right? So, so in the public gallery, when I see Dinkatia shout, no, no. How will you differentiate that from the minority? He, he, he was not on the floor uh, of Parliament. Come now, capture his voice. Really? <laughs> oh. Gentlemen, I, I, oh, I, I think we're, we're, well, we're going to the way forward and resolve this issue. I feel your yeah. pain. And, and, and engaging. But, <laughs> I feel your pain. We'll take a break here. When we are back, we'll engage our, 
uh, um, other uh, resource person panelists on Zoom on, on of still the way forward. Yes, it looks like the legality may drown the issues of mm. governance. I, I, I don't think anybody wants that. We'll, we'll take a break here. We'll work after the break. Stay with us. Stay on it for the budget, we put it that way. Stay out of trouble, whether it's been rejected or it's been accepted, because the situation is still fluid, if I may put it that way. Some uh, messages we have so far. Uh, Bait and Sunyane says, my question to the majority group is, after signing the attendance register and taking um, the allowances, will they, refund, will they refund it to validate their claim that the house was not properly constituted since they claimed they were not in the house? So that's your uh, question. Uh, doing and uh, texting in from... Um, the UK says our biggest problem in Ghana is our leaders. It's sad. However, this budget is obnoxious. That's how you describe it. Babamo from Tamale says, I don't blame the minority for what is happening, but I blame the NPP for getting swollen headed after the last election. Well, uh, Prince Henry Koforidia says, clearly you can see there is a division among NPP MPs in Parliament. Ghana is in the hands of the wrong people. Let the Let's be sincere, we are facing a crisis. For the first time in Ghana, the majority in Parliament walked away from their own uh, budget. Master uh, Planner from Kintambo says, the minority in Parliament should check the implications of not approving the budget for 2022. I can say confidently that when the NDCs voted in power, they will increase the E-levy not to less than 2.5%. Ghanaians should, should never trust the That's You should never trust the NDC. That's what you say. Ewi Farouk uh, from Tamale North says, Good morning to you and to your able panelists. Certainly the battle has not ended. 21 gun salute to the minority MPs for kicking out the killer budget. NDC always stands for democracy, democracy and democratic dispensation of its citizens. So those are the comments you've been sending in so far. But I'm going to engage our guests virtually. Uh, about the ways to get out of this standoff and from the conversation that especially from the two politicians here it looks like this is going to be it's, it's not ending anytime soon because of the issues of the legality and the constitutionality vis-a-vis -vis the matters of governance so that's the question i'm i'm putting to uh, dr dramani um yes i think uh, the the conversation between the, the two honorable members uh, just a while ago is just an indication of where we are headed. It appears uh, rather than I mean, both sides trying to find a way uh, to come to the middle and compromise, each side is digging in. And, and I think that uh, we have to get out of this stalemate. And we can't get out of it by each side accusing uh, each other and uh, and and you know making statements that that uh, that would create more 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 disunity uh, if you like i mean like um, the honorable member in the studio said i mean this issue about uh, the right honorable speaker traveling and so on is medical issues um, really, I don't think it's, it's necessary in this uh, in this discussion. I mean that that you know that further divides you know the house and uh, and creates uh, more disunity. 
So I think, you know, like I said um, earlier, and like I've been saying right from January 7th, we are in a situation that is not business as usual. And I think when the earlier both sides recognize that, I mean, the better is going to be uh, for us, I mean, all of us as citizens of this country. I mean, both sides need each other. I mean, let, uh, let's be clear about that. I mean, let not the minority think that, you know, uh, they could just frustrate the business of, of, of government uh, and get away with it because, uh, you know, they could anger uh, the population that, that they are trying to appease. Let not also the majority side uh, think that they can get their way around this um, uh, by maybe using legalities. This is not a time, I believe, uh, to, to stick to legalities. I mean, this is a time uh, to look at some, some practical measures and see, I mean, how do we really get out of this? Some, you know, serious uh, behind-the-scenes conversation would need to happen, uh, not only for this, but I think for the rest of the business of uh, of this eighth parliament. I mean, we are going to see a lot more surprises as we go into the uh, the years of this, uh, this eighth parliament. And if we have to avoid uh, particularly those that can be embarrassing for one side or the other. And, uh, and in this case, I think uh, uh, I would say uh, the majority side will need to be doing more of the reaching out since they control uh, the agenda and most of what comes uh, before the House. Very well. Uh, let me move to Dr. Kojo Asante also on this issue about the legality in the and uh, not drowning out the real issue of governance, which, of course, the budget is supposed to uh, roll out certain policies. If this tarries up until or goes beyond the 31st December, uh, when this appropriation that currently runs out, that, that is currently uh, being rolled out, if it goes beyond that, there may be a shutdown which would ground the economy to a halt, basically. Doc, please unmute you. Unmute them. Oh, okay, yes. sorry. Yeah, thank you again. Uh, so first of all, this is not um, a legal issue. I think uh, just listening to uh, the honourables uh, even affirms that really this is really a political um, situation uh, that the two parties uh, have to work out. Um, you know, if you if you go through the scenarios, you know, so let's say that you know the the move from the MPP is basically to challenge the speaker's ruling uh, as 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 regard the uh, uh, the vote. Uh, the speaker is not available, so uh, either the first or the second deputy speaker, who are on the majority side, um, will preside. And if they preside, then it means that the numbers are back to one thirty seven, one thirty seven. So um, how would you uh, uh, establish uh, what is half, is it 137 or is 138? Because the person presiding will not have a vote. Right. So already uh, you're back to a stalemate uh, if you pursue that question. If the person presiding decides to rule that is 137 and therefore, um, you know, uh, you get one thing, say one thing, say how do you proceed? All right. 
So um, that that I think is tricky uh, if you pursue on uh, that line. Um, so all these all these uh, challenges that are being contemplated, you know, left and right. I think for me, it's not the solution. Um, there are issues that have been raised in terms of procedure that I think uh, in the current context of a hand parliament uh, have to be uh, looked at and negotiated, uh, just like we negotiated as to what constitutes the majority when you have a hand parliament, for instance. Uh, so those things around those, I think, have to be resolved because as Dr. Blaman says, going forward, a lot of these things will come up and you need uh, a working process and procedure that does not uh, inhibit and, and, and unduly sort of uh, affect uh, the, the business of parliament. Even if this grads on uh, to beyond the, the, the 31st, the standing orders actually allow you uh, to bring a resolution to allow spending until the applications bill is passed. But the point is that, again, this has to be put on the vote. And if you're still standing in your positions, you might not still be able to even pass a resolution. So really, it's, this, it's political. Uh, there, there are two issues. Okay. I think there is uh, uh, some pain that the MPP is feeling. And they are uh, pointing to all these uh, treatments and so on and so forth. And I think that has to be smoothing over. But the other side, from the NDC side, uh, I mean, the NDC could easily, uh, at the 11th hour, still be magnanimous, having sort of made their point that, you know, this is an issue that Ghanaians have concerned, and therefore, you know, we have championed it, could have still given the, the finance minister, you know, that room and, and adjourn the meeting uh, to Tuesday. But of course, I mean, that was such big uh, political capital to, to lose in at the 11th hour. So, I mean, that's why I say sometimes you have to separate the politics. But when somebody's seen a big win like that, to give it up, you know, might not be easy. And because also it was not fatal to uh, the process of, of adopting the, uh, the budget. So, I would just say that um, if we go forward, we need to get, they have to get into a room. They need to overcome some of the embarrassment, uh, some of the pain some of the mistreatment that they feel and so on, to then get to the bigger picture about what is in the tax issues. I was I was in the meeting, uh, the CSO meeting with the finance minister the day before uh, the budget was to be read. And I mean, it was very productive, but it was quite late in the day. So even if you had good ideas or ways in which you wanted to influence the budget, uh, it wouldn't really you know, be able to be affected within that short time. So I think that uh, it's very, very important uh, that we look at the content of, of the budget. Uh, there, I would also suggest to the finance minister, the executive in particular, that don't just restrict this to both a party thing, you know, because yes, the, the matter is currently in parliament, that you still have to make a point to Ghanaians. You have to still engage Ghanaians that even your proposals that have deformed their representatives, you feel that they should consider certain things. So I would actually suggest that as this process is going on, the finance minister has to have a direct engagement with Ghanaians on some of the proposals as well. Uh, within that short period, they just 
it's just a matter of either going to have uh, you know go on the radio station one or two of them you know to continue to engage on these kinds of matters so that you also you know it's not just reduced to this partisan fight but it's also to communicate to Ghanaians that you are listening not just to the representative but to them directly you know so um we really we really for me uh it's just to reiterate the point let's not over you know uh, let's not do what we did in 79 when when we we overexerted ourselves when this thing happened as if uh the hell has broken loose and you know the end of the world is coming we should just as accept that the nature of the hand parliament means that you have to be much more accommodating whether you are minority or majority and build a certain culture that allows for more engagement and and and, and sometimes to kind of swallow your pride and and move on that culture as well people are still going through that process remember this is the first time this is happening so let's give them that but i think the quicker they, they, they pick up the strategies and attitudes around this, the better it will be for all of us. All right. Uh, Franklin, on, uh, you have the last bite on this, on this issue of um, what, 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 what is the bigger question here, the legality or the governance of it? Well, it was quite clear that there are points of divergence. Um, as I say, Parliament is a master of its own procedures. I think the two leadership or the leadership of the, of the parliament must uh, talk before they meet uh, so that we do not see these uh, rancors, um, uh, should I call the divisions again. I, I think it's important we move forward from the positions that are being held. So the points of divergence must be discussed and there must be some common understanding before the Tuesday meet. Okay, all right. Very well. So uh, we would... Um Move on to the discussion with the E-Levy now, which is the, well, there are a lot of other concerns, but the E-Levy seems to be the main issue. Uh, there's been issues about government needing to show up its revenues, projected six, over 6 billion, yeah. and uh, in, yeah, 6.9 billion to, to be precise. And in the uh, plea of the finance minister, he indicated that this was to, the budget essentially is to deal with debt, employment, and um, uh, uh, other issues of, Employment, debt, and infrastructure, those are the issues he raised. And if you look at the underpinnings of the budget, it looks like the E-Levy is very critical when it comes to funding certain, certain requirements. So I'll begin with you, Toma, on this issue of, of the E-Levy and how, how critical it is and whether it, 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 it bothers, it, is that the only alternative that's available to government to raise this revenue? Probably is looking at financing the budget with revenue instead of debt, if you do that analysis. Okay, now... Government, Dr. Kuma himself has said that they expect to make about 6.9 billion from the levy for in, 20, in 2022. We are looking at about 2% of GDP, which means that without that revenue, your projected fiscal deficit will rise from 7.4% to 9.4%, which of course is impossible. Now, you have to remember that government is in a particularly difficult situation. when. When government talks about the fact this this project and the e-levy addresses uh, debt, sustainability, infrastructure, and jobs, forget all that. The issue is debt sustainability. That's all it's about. You see, 
Ghana has found itself in a situation where don't forget, a lot of the debt is owed to the international financial community. And they are beginning to lose faith in Ghana's ability to achieve fiscal consolidation. The debt levels are getting worse. Mm -hmm. Ghana is now seen by the international financial community as a high risk thing. I'm sure you heard about what happened with the yields, the Bloomberg market and all that stuff. And you notice that it affected Ghana as well because a lot of our, even our domestic debt, not is held by foreigners. And they started pulling out and demanding their dollars because they were going away and it suddenly put pressure on the city and all that. So, government, and in fact, Ken himself has said that this budget is largely aimed at letting the international financial community, especially our creditors, know that we are very serious about fiscal consolidation. Okay, so it's all about raising more tax revenues. Don't forget that the, one of the major problems behind the criticism of the international community about Ghana is that our tax revenue to GDP ratio is barely half of the average ratio for middle-income countries. Ghana is doing about 12-15%, whereas the average for middle-income countries is about 25%. So, government is trying to use this budget to show people that, guys, don't panic about our debt you are holding. And if you issue more, please buy it up. We are serious about rectifying the situation. And the e-levy is crucial to this. Don't forget that over, for several years now, they've been talking about doing this um, um, tax on mobile money. And government has, has, has decided, based on consultative stakeholders, decided not to go ahead with it, that it has its issues. But now they decide to do it. It's simply because the situation is so bad, they don't seem to know where else to turn to immediately. Okay. So now there are two issues here. What can you do immediately? And what can you do over the long, over the relatively longer term? Um, Honorable and Oliver have been pointing out here that there are alternatives in terms of taxation. And it is true. I totally agree with that. The problem is, what are the alternatives that you can do immediately? You know, because they know that the government, government knows it requires some structural change to its tax administration regime. So they decided to go for the, the low-hanging fruit, which they can implement right from day one, which is the Momo levy. Now, if that is rejected, then you have to go for structural changes in your tax administration, which takes time. <laughs> One, one way out, one way, one way you can you can marry the two is to agree to do the Momo levy, the e-levy, yeah. put a sunset clause, maybe one year, mm -hmm. and offer a tax refund at the end on the basis that by that time you have agreed your structural changes to your tax administration, you are getting the right taxes from other places. So you can now start offering tax refunds on the 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 the, the monies you raise from the e-levy mm -hmm. well i've not really crunched the numbers but mm -hmm. in theory it is possible but over the longer term look let's face it people you understand why people get angry about the e-levy thing okay remember some years back when the ndc came with the financial services levy remember what mpp said about it the same things holds holds for the current situation in terms of the fact that you are you, at that time the mpp correctly pointed out you are trying to encourage financial inclusion and so why are you taxing financial transactions right now the ndc is also quite what they say that they are trying to encourage digitization why are you taxing digital transactions the difference being that 
then government was not financially desperate. They had the, they had alternatives. Now there are no alternatives left, which is why this government decided to go ahead with the, the what we call the Mumu levy anyway. All right, but but the fact is that why you are sorting out, why you are using it to sort out your immediate problem, you need to you need to do some structural things. And here, this is one issue I have with Parliament. Forgive, honourable, please forgive me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> property tax. The reason why we do not pursue property tax here is that the people who pass the bill, the people who who, who approve it, are the people who pay the most property taxes. So they are being selfish by not approving property taxes. Honourable, please, sir, I'm not referring to you. <laughs> that is one. Two tax exemptions. The reason why that bill has been hanging for the past three years is that people in the Tax tax exemptions are approved by members in parliament, by 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 by, by parliament. Mm -hmm. All right, and it's a way to favour family and friends. I mean, <laughs> a foreigner is coming and he wants tax exemptions. All right, to import uh, certain inputs, mm -hmm. and parliament has to approve the specific tax exemption. To incentivize investment. Yeah, that incentivize is, that, investment. That is, At the same time, you see, <laughs> that is a double how we are, it's a double edge. Losing a lot of your tax a lot of your tax a lot of your tax regime. Mm -hmm. when, in, when you say incentivize investment, it is incentivizing imports okay. for investment at the expense of local content. You understand? If for example, let me give you a simple, simple example. If you had given tax exemptions to breweries for importing barley hops, by now would crop beer be made out of sorghum? Yeah. You get the point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so so you need to you need to look at that. And apart from that, a lot of the tax exemptions, if you look at them closely, they are not these are they are not essential. Mm -hmm. They are favors. Mm -hmm. They are favors. And I mean, well, the MPs know why they are giving the favors to these foreigners anyway. I won't go into that, please. <laughs> but, but I mean, this, this, that is another issue we need to look at. Third, transfer pricing. Some years back, it became a major, major, major issue in this country yeah. about the fact that multinationals are ripping, are cheating the country blind from transfer pricing. They bring in a certain um, equipment or material and claim it's X price, whereas in reality it is half of X. So now it reduces the profits they declare and 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 the tax their tax obligations. While at the same time they're using to take foreign exchange out of the country unnecessarily. And we said we are going to address this issue. They all of a sudden it was swept under the carpet. All of a sudden nothing he said about it. You know I'm a very cynical person. When maybe because where I originated from. Um, when things like this happen, I always suspect that there's been pressure under the table because mm -hmm. all of a sudden transfer pricing has been, been taken off the table. But the fact that between transfer pricing, property taxes in particular, and tax exemptions, which are not the ones which are not really absolutely necessary, or the ones which discourage local content and encourage importation of things that have local substitutes between the three i think you can make up there are 6.9 billion only that it takes it would take time to implement them you understand which is why i think government has gone for the low hanging fruit which they can implement immediately so it left to me what i would do 
was that I would say, or I would look for the consensus, the consensus that my colleagues are talking about, which means not waiting until just before the vote, which means, you know, negotiating right from and say, okay, we're we are bringing in this kind of taxes. It has a relatively short sunset clause. There's the possibility of at least partial, if not full, tax refunds at the end of it. We just need to raise money while we are rearranging we are our tax administration to put to get the exemptions bill passed, to get to look into this issue of transfer pricing and block it, and um, the third one, and to start start taxing properties. Properties, yeah. Uh -huh. All right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things we have been talking about in the country uh, in this conversation is that we definitely identify with with some of the things my colleagues have been saying. And we've also mentioned the questions of proposing tax. Talked about tax waivers. We've talked about transfer prices. And we've also talked about deals that undervalue our potential for revenue generation. This is a Japan deal, which completely undervalue our uh, mining revenue. But also importantly, one of the things you have to understand is that there is so, so much debt. That there has to be a reflection in the persons who lead us, in the way in which they are willing to spend. And so that if we are not even raising the revenue up, we must reduce the expenditure. When we are saying we are budgeting for 10 million, uh, almost 9 billion for, for, for salaries and what we pay to, to, to start. That is money that we can find ways in which we can do realistic savings around. We don't have to budget, we don't have to, to push the cost of that to persons who are already struggling to be able to maintain businesses and young people and even the, the poorer segment of, the, of, of, of our society. And I mean, introduced, for instance, the, the, the idea of sort of trying a, a sunset clause and then repaying the money back to people. We are apprehensive about that as a workable model, first of all, because persons are already struggling. And so it still doesn't solve the problem of going into their pockets and picking seven billion out of it. So that's a real concern now. Secondly, it, there's really no guarantee that another law will be will come in. It doesn't create a constitutionality around refunding the money. They can decide that we're not going to refund it at that point. Thirdly, as well, there are real legitimate concerns about even the constitutionality of the normal tax. Particularly because, first of all, it doesn't propose to impose the tax on the service delivery. Okay. It is taking the money directly from the person who owns the money. So this is like compulsory acquisition of property. All you are saying is that every time I move, if I put 100 CDs in my pocket and I walk three steps, you're taking the money out of my pocket. That's a tax of movement that I'm moving with my own property and you're taking the money out. The fact that it's in an electronic form doesn't defeat the principle of the fact that you're just taking money out of my pocket every time I move an inch. And so there's real questions around the ISCOM constitutionality. But, but, but with, a, with, with a venture that is valued annually over 500 million, Mm. Ghana cities yeah. in terms of transactions on, on mobile money. For instance, mm. the telcos, of course, they take the money and pay corporate taxes. Well. Yeah. Is, is, is that not a way for government to, to in a way, to in, in terms of <coughs> spreading or broadening the, 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 the tax base? Okay. Is, is that not a way that government should look at? So let's look at the revenue from that. That property land prices have increased over a period of time. The government cannot look at the fact that the value of my land is higher, and for which reason I'll take the land away from you. The fact that I'm moving around my property does not mean that you, there's already an incentive or you have a right to take it away from me. That's what we're saying. The fact that there's a flow of the revenue across the sector is a good indication of how persons are coming into the formal sector in terms of how money is moved around. That does not create a basis for you to say, ah, then I must take the money away. So that's 
Those are questions, and we are prepared to challenge on the matter. We should be willing to, to challenge whether or not the taking of the tax in this manner is constitutionally appropriate. So that's so let's not see this as as a low hanging food we can go for. Let's think now is the time to say let's cut down on expenditure, okay. which will be popularly and we will support it. In fact, the call for us to be you know to tighten our belts to see that others are sharing that call would be the way in which they win back political favor across board. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, before I come to Honorable uh, Kisig, we have uh, uh, Francis Timori Boy, who is uh, a tax analyst, just for some perspectives on this e levy and its implications on our economy. Mr. Boy, if you are if, if, if you can hear me, uh, let's 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 look at the uh, perspectives of a tax analyst on this issue of e, e levy and the, the it's it's the fact that it's been it's a regressive tax. It's 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 regressive in a way that may end up taxing the poor uh, for, for 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 the use or for the services of the rich, if I may put it that way. So, uh, thanks, thanks, Dick, for, for having me. And um, I think that from a tax policy perspective, this particular tax has so many risks around it. And if you have a tax policy which has some risks around it, it's likely to fail. I'll, I'll give you an example. In 1994, when we tried to introduce the VAT, we had the same problem. Um, no consultation, no discussion. And then in 95, it came. It lasted for only three months. And so I think the risks around this tax policy is real. People do not understand why two people, one is paying his watch with cash, and then the other is paying with mobile money, and then for that matter, because of the mobile money, he should pay tax on it. So it goes back to the issue of consultation. We need to go back and sit and look at what implication it will be. Like my brother said, why, why should I move money from one point to the other and then pay pay tax what impact is it going to have on our digitization agenda our understanding was that the informal sector is very large and we can't tax them and so we're going to use the digital systems to try to identify them if we identify them then the next thing is to tax them but then if we are introducing some policies which is likely to scare them away then we may not be able to get the objectives which we intend to do with digitization already the financial sector has scared a lot of people so if we are not careful to analyze this matter we're going to have a lot of people keeping their money at home and already they are not accessing the banking system so it's, it's a real issue for me i think that we need to do a lot of consultation and then if we need to cut down budget to be able to close the fiscal gap then that is what we have to do rather than destroying or being too early in trying to um, tax the digital transactions which is likely to scare the people away it, it, it is a real risk that we, we can't ignore uh, there's a suggestion that the rate probably the rate should be decreased and that that could sort of assuage the pains and the issues associated with with the, with the concerns raised essentially about its impact on on the many persons who've now found out or who now use mobile money to move uh, liquid cash around? The rate is high. That is one. Because if you look at other jurisdictions, I think our rate is high. 1.75 is high. In Uganda, they started at 1%. It later came down to 0.5. Even that, a lot of people stopped using it. So I think that it's, it's time that we can look at the rates. And probably the exemption, we, we all have to consider it. 
for me, if you ask me, the, the, the baseline is that this thing is a risky area and we just have to consider, we need to take a second look at it before we roll it out in, in, in 2022. Oh, all right. Okay. Um, your number is again. Yeah. It's 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 apart from the issues, as, the humanitarian issues, in yeah. terms of the tax issues, I, I, this is the, I, I the main say, point. I want to share some interesting, you know, things that I found in a budget. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, it says you know they need this money obviously to improve road infrastructure, getting new buses in terms of transportation, you know, and, and other things they're talking about. The the question for me is. When this money actually comes in, would it go and do all these things that they are talking about? And most of the time, you realize that not. If we are not careful, you know, nobody probably wants to pay. Anybody who drives and crosses the toll probably wouldn't want to pay, you know, a road toll. I mean, taxes, you know, generally things that people try to resist. But then, you know, it's a necessary evil that we need taxes to be able to fix uh, some of the things that... Uh, we, we want as a service but then it doesn't really mean that we should you know just do taxes anyhow first of all we've suggested that this exemption thing this exemption then is no is really no brainer i mean the beginning of all this exemption and i have sat in you know where i've had opportunity to be in cabinet in my uh, uh, to to stand in for my minister uh, finance where issues of exemptions and you look at who is getting those exemptions okay some of these incentives were put in place for a good reason for instance in the energy sector when we were having challenges you know with energy and all that so if somebody is coming to build an independent power whatever to add to our national grid and all that this is a kind of investment that we we need or we needed at the time so we give them this incentive so that the project will get completed now you realize that over the years, some of these things are no longer needed in that way. I mean, now they say we have excess uh, 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 power. Mm -hmm. If we have excess power, then if somebody is coming in to build a power plant, does that person need an exemption? Mm -hmm. So these are the things that we have not looked. It's been there. I mean, I have made this argument before when we were in office mm -hmm. that why are you presenting this exemption? Because we no longer need to incentivize anyone in this sector to, to be able to do this. Thing. It's become a competitive sector now. So let's competition work. So these are the things that we need to look at to be able to claw back this money that is usually given upfront. And then even if an, if, if an exemption is needed, can we look at doing it at the back end rather than upfront? So that it will become like a claim if you genuinely... Because it is, it is an abuse. You know, you have somebody, can we look at, okay, if you know hotel sector, for instance, we want to give exemptions so people could build hotels. We need hotels in tourist destinations. So can we say that if we are coming to build a, a hotel in, in Cape Coast or you are going to build it in, in, in Damango or somewhere where tourism flourish, you get a certain exemption than if you are building another hotel in Accra, which is probably crowded with five-star hotels or four-star hotels. So incentives so, should, should be tied to a, a, a greater policy objective, not just building it out for the sake of building Somebody goes and a hotel here, friends and family, and then the person is given an exemption. 
If we need hotels, that's the only way we can get hotels in the tourist destinations, not crowd them in a, a small, um, what is it called, a, a, a square meter area and get all these exemptions. So I have for long been against this exemption regime, even when we were in office. Of course, you know, we still haven't done anything about it. The bill is before us now. And if this government is really serious about looking at the tax situation and the money we need, which we obviously do, our debt at the end of the year will be 350 billion. Okay, beyond the 341 that they presented. So the year hasn't ended. And this money will have to be paid. So we, look, we have so many promises. If you look at this Obatan Pake that they are doing, if we are not careful, that will become a monster. Since November, when this policy or when this idea came up in the in the November budget, appeared in the, uh, the mid-year and has appeared again, this seems to be going in tangent. Everything now will be cured by Obatampa. Obatampa for, for youth, Obatampa for this, Obatampa for entrepreneurship. All these things cost money. And if we don't look after the way these things are managed properly, it will become counterproductive. The jobs will not come, yet money will be spent. Look, we are spending, if you look in the budget, and, and one thing that, if you look in the budget, and you look at the amount of money that has gone into agriculture, in that agriculture policy of planting for food and jobs, you ask yourself, if you look from 2017 today, you realize that the percentage of agriculture contribution to GDP is actually going down. Year on year, if you look, it's here, page 200, and you see it. It's been going down. Now, you actually tell yourself that, okay, maybe agriculture is broad. It includes fisheries and all that, so maybe that's the reason. So let's go and look specifically at crops, which is what they're supposed to be planted. The growth is going down. The inflation we are experiencing at the moment in the economy is mostly food inflation. You cannot have a program that is supposed to be planting food, increasing harvesting, and that, that we have shortage of food, price increases, and inflation. Something is definitely wrong. One of the things that we never used to do, and we still don't, is that when a ministry, look, we can probably cut, this is probably going to make news, we can probably cut about 20% of all MDAs funded. And you wouldn't even notice. In, in what sense? How is that going to be done? In terms of whatever they accomplished last year, mm -hmm. will probably be accomplished uh, in 2022 without any, having any difficulty. Because a lot of the money actually goes to waste. Because the monitoring because, mechanism is yes, weak. Because nobody, when, when they present a budget, I mean, I have sat down and looked at budget that is basically cut and paste. Mm. Where a, a, a ministry will bring their budget to you, and it's pretty much the same things they did the previous year, are the things they are doing. And some of the things they did were not even completed. Hmm. Or were not done. There are people who have money sitting down for a project that never get, and then they are in a hurry. When the budget time is coming, people are in a hurry to spend money. So they spend it recklessly. If we were to pay attention to this, and that is why we need broader consultation in this budget process. It starts in April. Mm. 
We cannot be at the altar and be asking for time for consultation. When you are there in the altar, then now we're going to tell your wife that actually I have a husband, I, I actually have a, have, a, have a wife, which I didn't tell you. So I'm saying it now, which you could have done long time ago. I say you were not giving time to tell your wife this information at the altar. So we have a fundamental problem which we have not addressed. And we need to begin to look at budget and relate you to performance that we gave you this amount of money. Come and show us what you have used the money for before you come and ask for the same money. Why is it that people come and ask for the same amount of money year after year, programs that have even expired? So these are the issues that we have. But another interesting thing here, you look at, they said, when we get this money, because everything in this budget, they have factored in the e-levy. That is if it's approved. Yeah. Okay. We are going to be borrowing, we are not going to be borrowing much if we get this levy. This was a debate on the floor. Mm -hmm. That if we want our debt to come down and all that, then this e-levy will come and plug that hole so we don't have to borrow. What they fail to understand is that they have this budget, though it looks like it's 2022 budget, it's actually a medium-term budget. Mm -hmm. That give indicative figures from 2022, 2023. So when you go and look at money that they'll be borrowing, I mean, like you look here, it tells you basically the levies. As we rightly said, 2022 is 6.9. 2023, they're going to go to 7.8 billion. Okay? 2024, 8.9. So you will look at this, okay, then if that is the case, then we expect borrowing to be going down. You go to the borrowing section and uh, it's very, very interesting. You go to the borrowing section. Foreign borrowing alone, this is a summary of central government operation which gives you the financing. They are going to be borrowing in 2022 12.9 billion. Okay, let's say that is the first year of, uh, of the year levy. So the second year as the monies go up, on the yield levy side, the, the borrowing will go down. No, it doesn't. They move to 20 billion. You see, 20 billion. Look, by the time they get up to 2024, they will have added almost a 90 billion to the already existing debt yeah. with yield levies. So that tells you that attitude is not going to change. If we don't look at, you know, you talk about fiscal consolidation. Fiscal consolidation is not about ramping up your revenue alone. Just about checking it's about doing your, 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 what is called, rationalization of your expenditure. Cut out wasteful expenditure. Money that is thrown at things and doesn't get any result. If you are planting for food and you are not creating jobs, if you look at unemployment, thing, you look at employment, which is supposed to be going down, it's going up. It's now around 12%. And since this government came to power, it was high when we were there, and it started coming down 2015, 2016. When they came in, it became stagnant. And then now, it's at 12%. Stagnant around 8 It's at 12%. So we are planting for food. We are not getting the food. We are planting for food and jobs. We are not creating the jobs. So the policy will not need to be looked at. Because when you look at the quantum of money, that has gone into planting for food. Quite astronomical. And you, there's nothing to show for it. So the question about, look, you talk, 
COVID spending. Mm -hmm. They are still spending COVID because COVID hasn't gone away. Okay? Now, but you look at the COVID spending and said, not a single hospital has been built by this government under the COVID. Mm -hmm. So the COVID treatment, which they can say they've done well, mm -hmm. was all done on their existing hospitals. But then okay. there is the Agenda 111, which well, is the Agenda 111. You know, they talk about roads. First, the year of roads. Year of roads. Now the new term is aggressive roads. <laughs> Not are the roads going to be built. Okay? They get aggressive. I don't know what the term will be. If we don't succeed with aggressive roads, I don't know what will be the next one. That, 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 you know, there are things that we are doing that are not working. We need to begin to check performance. In as much as we look for more revenue and we look for cutting certain things. Promises are too many. And we are not having the money to do them. About the price now, about 100 billion or whatever. I mean, where are you going to get the money from? You cut your code sometimes according to your size. Not say that if we don't get re this revenue, Ghana will burn. Ghana will not burn, my brother. I've sat at the Ministry of Finance. They need to look for somewhere else. We are looking for 100 million. Look, last last year, revenue was supposed to be 72 billion. We got over 70. So far. It doesn't look like 70 is the projected at the end because it's even less than, less than 70. So we were 2 billion short. Now your new projection is 100. Yeah. You're going to add almost about 25% or something to your revenue. Yet you have not done any broad work. You've gone for, as my brother said, low-hanging fruits mm -hmm. that you're going to tax. Roads, look, if you are not careful, what we're going to do is we're going to create two roads, two-tier roads in Ghana. Because you, there's no money to build roads, you are going to go for PPP arrangement, mm -hmm. which will allow private sector people to come in based on the fact that there will be cash flows in terms of road tolls mm -hmm. to pay back those debts. Mm -hmm. Now, if you say you are not going to do road to which, which investor is going to come and build roads with you? And it's not being told, mm -hmm. and you pay them from e, 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 mo, mo, mo. Mm -hmm. That's what you're going to pay them for. So these things need to be, you know, or even if you allow that, then roads are going to be this is a private sector constructed road. When you are going on it, you pay. This is a government constructed road. When you are going on it, you don't pay. Mm -hmm. So we are going to create problems while you see your brother driving on the, on the private road mm -hmm. and there's no traffic, and you are stuck in a uh, government road. Where there's traffic. This is, you know, we are doing this needlessly. Why would you stop road two? Every country collect road two. Okay? You say it stops, uh, what is it called? It doesn't allow traffic to move. What doesn't allow traffic to move is potholes. Not, not toes. And those are the things we need to fix. So if you create, you, you remove road tools, which I'm happy, but then, the question becomes, now you are going to use more, more money to fix roads. <laughs> Where is the thinking? This is the problem that we have. So, I'm showing you, the debt is not going to go down. So, if they say, if somebody tells you that they, if, if they don't get this, they're going to borrow. They are going to borrow anyway. All the euro bonds they are going to do, they are all here. Look, in 2022, they are going to go for euro bonds 4.8 billion. The next year in 2013, when more, more, what is it called, even more has come in, they are going for 13.6. You know, by God forbid, in 2025, they even made projections for 2025. God forbid, if this government stays on, the break, the aid they are talking about, 
The euro bond they are going to go for alone is 15 billion. Um, are we going or we are coming? These, you are, know, these, so, are, the, these are the projections. So these are, yeah, these are projections. That, one is, that one actually is partly because since 2013, mm -hmm. we have been issuing euro bonds every year. And now the chickens are coming home to roost. They are coming. Most of these, most of these euro bonds, especially the initial ones, they were relatively small in size compared with the current government. The Mama administrations were small in size. They were ten year, yeah, one million, but they were like ten year, ten year duration. So now they are falling. Now the ones we have done since this current government has come in are longer durations, as far as forty years. However. The sizes. I mean, look, when you talk about budgets, you issue a new bond for three billion, and one point two billion or one point five billion is for budget support. No, there was no. I mean, under the previous government, the budget I support. I can understand. We have never more than for that background. background, investment banking, and sometimes the thinking may be different. You know, these things look fancy for what you are doing. Them, what you are using your own corporation money to do. Or using investors' money to do it. Not, not, not when you are using the state's money mm. to do some distance. The fees alone that people take out of distance. And then one yeah. big problem. Look, our debt that we look at at the moment, okay, the, 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 the external debt has now gone up again. External debt is now about 51% of our total debt. Mm. Domestic debt is 40, 40, 49. So you assume that external debt is debt that we owe to foreigners. But 48% of our debt are domestic debt. Almost 50% of those debt are bought by foreigners. by foreigners. So when they liquidate, they liquidate and take their money back in dollars. So not only are you creating a debt problem for the country, you are also creating an extra problem for the yeah. country because that will obviously depreciate your CD. Which is what has been happening very recently. And, and the reverse of it is that when you depreciate your CD, your debt without even borrowing any more money externally to go up yeah. because yeah. You, you have to exchange cities mm -hmm. to pay for that there has to be a comprehensive thinking about the things that we are doing and know that the things are linked together they are not isolated and that was why the city was the worst performing currency according to Bloomberg Absolutely. in the first quarter of 2019 Absolutely. because there was a mass exit of Foreigners holding on to CD denominated yeah. debt, but we're taking their money out in dollars because they had invested the, in dollars. The, the inflation, at the time we were ending the IMF. The inflation that we are, we, are, we are in at the moment is all food, utilities, and exchange rate inflation. No real demand in the economy, as you were expecting post pandemic economy. So these are the challenges that we need to look at and look at the options rather than going to stay in court, as my, my brother said. You know, I don't know how long the court cases, you know, we need a budget by 31st December. But you don't the biggest problem of what we have. As recently as 2013, 2013 was the first year in which the money we spent on servicing our public debt became as much as the proportion of our revenues we will spend on capital expenditure, roads, hospitals, and stuff like that. As early as 2013, as recently as 2013, go and check the current budget. Right now, for every for every hundred cities we are spending, about two city fifty pesos is on capital expenditure. About seven city fifty pesos is on debt servicing. Now, in the ratio has become three to one. Twenty twenty, we are spending thirty seven billion, which now means that everything you want to do, everything you want to build, you have to borrow because all your own money is going into servicing debt.
So you might want to build even a road from, from, from here to um, the main road here. You have to go and borrow more money. Yeah. And as you borrow more money, then the debt servicing becomes takes a bigger chunk of your of your revenues in the following year onwards. The tools that you can probably use to fix potholes to you, 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 you have you know stopped it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have Dr. John Kuman to respond to the issues. Okay. All right. Let's Okay, so we don't have Dr. John Kuma on to respond to, to, to the issues. Uh, Franklin Kujo? Well, I guess uh, a lot has been said about the prudence with which the, some of the fiscal initiatives have been introduced, really. Um, and I think last week I was, on, I was on this program to say that I think we haven't had proper value for money conversations uh, over some of these investments that have been made into the youth enterprise uh, initiatives. In fact, I'm yet to see a paper on the on the value addition NACO had made to the economy on what NEIP has been able to do and its value to the economy. So to be told that we are going to be taxed and that tax will be used in supporting the use tax program with an annual estimation of uh, allocation of a billion cities. I wonder again whether there was a conversation as to what value this one billion Ghana cities would have added to the economy. It is going to be multiplied by two times or three times. Are the investments that are going to be made in the use tax program going to yield the maximum returns so that we would have realized the clarion call of moving away from taxation to production. But it also said we are going in circles. And I did say again that, to be told, that part of the money will be used in both uh, constructing roads. Also a question that arises is exactly what value have we made out of the roads that we construct? How many times do these roads get broken? Um, and, and how many times do we get to fix them? What are the contracting uh, issues around them as well, the procurement issues? So it appears we haven't had the proper conversation as to what these taxes are going to be used for. There's not been any grand policy conversation. So it makes it difficult for it to be accepted. Just mm -hmm. to be told just like that, blank, that we use it to do new starts. We use it to do, well, got some of it to be using repaying debts. But then to be told that if some of it will also be used in constructing roads without being told what type of roads, what the value addition, what the multiplier effect to the economy, uh, those conversations will be had. If you are still going to, uh, to, to, to allocate close to 500 million Ghana cities on teacher training allowances, when these teacher trainees are being fed, what value does that make or have on an economy? So I think it's important that the value for money considerations are had concerning any, any fiscal policy that is introduced. I think once that is done, uh, it will be pretty much difficult for people to accept the imposition of taxation, I mean, additional taxes. All right, cool. Okay, so let, let's uh, bring in some, some of the messages you've, you've sent in so far. Um, Lawet Richard from Keta in the Volta region says, 
parliament has now turned into a place for plain ground for MPs. The day our MP, okay, well, these, okay, the day our MPs during election time they'll come and they'll, they'll come to beg for votes after election, and when when they have the votes, uh, they start. Well, some of your comments, please keep it clean and civil. Otherwise, we will not read them. They, they spent our money on okay, so this government is really insensitive. They spent our money on wasteful expenditure about transparency and proper accountability and still expects us to pay more taxes. Politicians tell us one thing while in opposition and do the opposite. Uh, only God can save us. Uh, so this one from Musa in Kumasi says, since 1996, the eighth parliament will go down history as the as the one that ensured that the NPP majority walked out of parliament because the NDC minority wants to reject the further hardship they want to impose on uh, Ghanaians. You're, you're proposing a policy that you think will be of support to the masses. Why are you running away when it has gotten to the implementation stage? Uh, okay. Francis from Kaswa says the parliamentarian should uh, give us a break. Uh, the majority and minority group should respect. Okay, so the majority group should respect the minority in putting across their case. Uh, Akosa E. Prodigal from Sandema says, I don't understand why they are running away from their own budget. God should be with us. Okay. Uh, all right. So we'll take a break here. When we're back, we'll start wrapping up the conversation with the closing comments on all the matters that we've discussed so far. Stay with us. It's the big issue. <laughs> indulgent with a flavor you just can't hide. Refreshing energy gives so much for so little. For a strong performance, you've come to the right place. Good day energy drink. Why wait a minute to enjoy a good day when every second counts? Good day energy drink keeps you going. Excessive drinking can be detrimental to your health. Not recommended for persons under 18 years, lactating mothers, pregnant women, and people sensitive to caffeine. This advertisement has been vetted and approved by the FDA. Ranging from the rejection of the budget or otherwise to the e-levy, which is 
um, one of the major issues of contention. So the last couple of minutes will be devoted to us wrapping up the discussion. So I'll begin with uh, Mark on this issue of uh, your final comment. Sure, no problem. Uh, I have three points. Uh, the first one is that there has to be recognition that we're in a period where austerity measures is what we That's where we are. There's no way out of the question. But austerity implies two things. You're increasing taxes and you're cutting the uh, expenditure. The tax we are, we are quick to raise, right? Uh, obviously, we're looking at it in, in, in still the conventional areas of where we try to raise tax. Let's expand and be imaginative and creative and where we can spread the tax burden better. But also, we have to cut down expenditure. There's no question about it, whether it's institutional expenditure or all kinds of expenditure. We have to do that hard work. If we're failing to do that, we're not going to go anywhere. Secondly, Honorable uh, has done a fantastic job in showing the linkages that exist between our refusal to raise uh, revenue smart and how it continues to imperil us, our economy. But there's also the political costs to it. Because one of the things that we forget and continue to forget to understand, and what groups like us exist is that there's a premise that we made to the Canadian people of, in 1992 that democracy is also a path towards economic liberation. And that the, the more we fail to do that, people continue to get disenchanted with democracy itself and they believe in the political institution that we've created for ourselves. There's more and more decreasing support for it. The reason why we are all antsy over what happened in Guinea, because more Ghanaians are talking about, yes, would chance for something like that to happen. People were recognizing that as some, as some form of liberation to their personal circumstances. So the more in which the economy continues to worsen under this political system, the more we are creating this belief in it as the path towards the way forward. Okay. The final thing is, face the country itself as an organization, institution, and as a way of, of mobilizing. Like I said, yesterday we were there knocking on the doors of parliament and, and camping there to the late hours of the night. It is important that we understand as citizens that we cannot export our duty in a democracy to other people. Democracy cannot be held by account through representation. We must do the hard work of being in the conversation, of walking the long walk. That is the only way in which we can liberate ourselves within the construct of the politics we have created for ourselves. If we fail to do that, um, trust me, politicians will always look for the easy way out. The easy way out is always more expensive for us as a people. Those are my comments. I'm working yeah, and uh, thank you very much. Um, I, I will start uh, by by saying that um, I, I, I will ask my honourable, you know, um, brothers and sisters on the other side that we must all understand that we work for Ghana and the citizens of Ghana. We are not working for ourselves. We are in a different territory than where we've been in the past. So we all need to start changing our thinking. And they shouldn't take it as this is the time to really, you know, say that this is where I stand and I'm not moving and all that. Otherwise, we will not, get, we will not achieve anything. So this situation that we are confronted with at the moment will be a test case on how we are able to come together and work for the people of Ghana. The budget has been rejected, and we shouldn't take this as, yes, maybe you can say that, you know, we will take some scoring, some points or whatever, but we shouldn't look at it that way. I mean, our job as opposition is to provide sort of a, 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 a responsible, um, not alternative, but if, if there's something that we object to or the people object to, we are the voice of the people 
to raise these matters, you know, to be able to think it through with government. So if we do that, yes, it may look sometimes as we are playing political politics, but we must also understand that there are lives of people at stake in these things that we are doing. So I hope that on Tuesday, I pray and hope that we come together to the House. Instead of coming to be at each other's throats or be taking on the speaker, rather look at a way we can resolve this issue. For me, it's a second opportunity for us to sit down properly and maybe look at the time that we have. What the finance minister, the prayer that you requested for, you know, maybe would have been something that would have taken a short time to try and put something together, patch up something and go. We have time now to sit down, level-headed, look at the issues at stake, think through them properly, and see how we can adjust the budget. Look, there is a lot of things in this budget, not just E-Levy and other things. There are good things in this budget that we need to look at how those good things can actually be financed efficiently and effectively, not just throwing money at things like that. A lot of good policies in the past, not only peculiar to this government, but government across all shades and over the years. You've seen good policies in your own, you know, in your own policies. But at many a times, because of maybe the way money is thrown at it, or be, the way we don't look at, as uh, Franklin said, value for money, then it ends up to be a, 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 a symbolic, you know, project. So we need to sit down and look at getting something that Ghanaians, the hardship is real. Getting some that, something that will bring some relief to the people that we are serving. Otherwise, what we have done does not impact anybody's life. If we don't get this budget passed, people are not going to get their, their salaries, we are not going to be able to spend in all the areas that will add value to the economy. So that even as this debt to GDP that we politicians like using to score points, look, if you're able to grow your economy, your debt as a percentage of GDP itself will, will shrink without actually paying any money. So the thinking, the old way of thinking, has to change by all of us. Because we live in different times. This 137-137 is a wake-up call for us that... It's not a time where people are going to lie down and say whether I, 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 I work for this budget or not is going to go through. No, this time is not going to happen like that. And we have pressure on our back from, you know, <laughs> things the country and, 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 and others. So let's cut. We've gotten to a stage where maybe, I mean, it may be very A.E. coming for me, but we should cut the, 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 the whole politics and, and look at realistically whether there's a way we can salvage okay. this budget to be able to pay the debts that we owe, to be able to get enough revenue to meet a reasonable expenditure. And some of the things that are not working, we stop them. Right. This is what we should be doing when we go back Tuesday. This is what I would expect, that our friends on the other side will reach to us and we too we will, we will meet them you know, halfway. But if we're going to go with the same posture that we left with yesterday, I'm afraid nothing is going to get done. And it will not be only only the government that will that will take the blame or whatever. It will affect all of us. 
So we, the political class or whatever, should wake up when we get there on Tuesday to make sure that we do the business for Ghana and not for ourselves. So, my last comment, in fact, I think I will address it to Oliver. Fix the country is potentially one of the best things that happens to this country in terms of the fact that I always maintain that the problem with this country is not just the political leadership. It is the poor quality of the followership which has given a license to the political leadership to keep on disappointing us. You know, even the messages are coming. There are people who are just, hey, no matter what MPP does, they are correct. NDC are devils. MPP are angels. Then there are some people who are, oh, all NDC is angels. MPP, you know, just the other way around. As that. They don't they don't understand the issues. They don't even try to understand the issues. And I am saying that this is what we need to address. It's all right. I mean, you can go and get, uh, you can work on consensus in parliament, but you can also end up having the wrong consensus where everybody agrees on the wrong thing. But politicians, the first thing they want are votes. So what we need to do is improve the quality of the followership, the electorate, to the extent that the politicians will have to now follow the right thing in order to get those votes rather than just have people behind them who are either totally for them or totally against them without any consideration as to why you know so please it, and i think that fix the country is the first time i've seen a, a proper movement in that direction you know people who are ready to people who are ready to make their decisions based on what is right, based on, on a proper situation. When politicians are now forced to do the right thing, because the people who vote for them are aware of what yeah. is right and what is wrong, okay. not about MPO or NDC, then we're heading wrong in the right direction. Yeah. So that's how we wrap up the conversation. Of apologies to Franklin and uh, the uh, uh, other panelists on uh, virtually. We, we can't engage you for want of time. That's how we wrap up today's edition of the Big Issue. Add in studio, uh, Oliver Baker, Voma, or convener of the Fix the Country movement, uh, the Honorable Kweku Rikitegan, MP for Cape Coast South. Uh, to my me here, business and financial journalist. Earlier, we had Dr. John Kuma, Deputy Minister of Finance. And uh, keep watching CTV for the very best in programming.